Hi, everybody. I'm Josh. And I am Alyssa. And we are back with a brand spanking new conspiracy theory filled version of the podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. A read along pod where we dig into the good, the great, and the problematic of the Dresden Files series by Jim Butcher. I'm a long time Dresden vet. And this is my first time through. And together we chew it up and figure out what's important and decide that whatever Taylor Swift says is important is the important stuff. How you doing today, Ice? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? Oh my goodness gracious. I am living the dream. I tell you what. <laughs> had a uh, long Saturday coaching water polo down in Oregon, the Beaver State, and um, I'm still not all the way physically recovered. Oh, It was a very long day. Personal record for games coached. Uh, eight of them. Oh my goodness. And I coach hard. You guys see how I podcast. I, I do nothing by half. I do plenty of things poorly, <laughs> but I do nothing soft. I do everything all, pretty much all out, so... Yeah, it was a long day, but uh, we're back. Life is good. How uh, how was your weekend? Anything exciting? Uh, what did I do this weekend? I worked. Um, I went on a hike yesterday. Um, oh, I had a case where I found a skull in a river this week. Was it Bob? It was not. Oh, that's less exciting. And actually a whole lot grosser. Yeah. Although was, really, if you think was, about it... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. It was called in by a uh, Sharks fan on their way to the game. Literally anything <laughs> to not have to watch the Sharks. <laughs> and they lost, too. <laughs> that goes without saying, Lissy. That goes without saying. What I was trying to say before I was so rudely interrupted by Lissy finishing her sentence. Like, can you imagine this girl? <laughs> Bob himself is pretty gross. Like, it's an actual human skull. And we just, like, carry him around and stuff. Uh-huh. It'd be pretty rad. Also, how is, shouldn't the jaw not be attached? Yes. Yeah, it's not. On Bob? I mean, unless, I mean, on Bob, it wouldn't be. I mean, because he's a, he's a clean skull. Sometimes you'll see him with, um. I do not want to hear Tissue left over, but like, no, because they are, they're not connected by anything except for external tissue. Yep. I did not want to hear it. However, maybe there's some cosmetic post-mortem stuff going on with Bobski that they're attached. Because he does whistle and talk and uh, and stuff, right? Bob has teeth, is what I'm getting at. Yeah, he does. His bottom teeth, as well as the top teeth. Your cosmetic bones that don't count for health insurance. Which is mind-blowing. Oh, goodness gracious. I have a broken tooth. Which Ooh. apparently you're supposed to like fix those like fucking immediately, according to the internet. And I um haven't. As these things go, I do have health insurance starting in two days, which is exciting. That's good. I, I currently am in like a state of limbo because I haven't technically told Covered California that I'm not present in the California of which they cover. I was kind of just, and I'm not trying to like defraud anyone, certainly. Mm hmm. I don't go to the doctor and I'm not using that health insurance, but it was more as, you know, I, I travel home and stuff. So I was home for the holidays and I didn't want to cancel it, you know, either way. Yeah, because in case something happened, I get it. 
I feel like I should consult a lawyer before finishing this segment of the conversation. Just cut this out. <laughs> no, I, I'm not defrauding anyone. I'm certainly not trying no. to defraud anyone, but I do have insurance that hits in two days, Woo-hoo. including dental and vision, and I don't pay anything for it. And my God, I am like apparently a master negotiator. <laughs> I should negotiate more things. I'm one for one in my negotiating career all time. Woo-hoo. I digress. Ah, what are we doing here? Dresden Files? I think so. Do we still talk about the Dresden Files? Sometimes. Once in a while. I um, did enjoy, certainly, this segment. We found out about our elusive New Mexico. Yes, we did. Which um, is great. I'm uh, glad we got there in the end. Yes. What did you think about this chunk? I, I, I like this idea of asking you up front, and then kind of after we go through it, having... Kind of the longer... Yeah, I I liked it. I was right about some things. I still don't trust Elaine. (laughs) Who does? Seriously. But you know, it was was a a lot happened. This was a big action. Yeah, certainly. And we did have the big big set piece with the the smoky boats and the ghouls. And And New Mexico. And New Mexico. Yeah, I guess we had the two set pieces. Um, I really like... Really, every single thing about that New Mexico scene. Uh, we're obviously going to talk about it a lot here in a moment, but I, I really love that. And I mentioned it. I want to say going back into the last novel, but certainly going back early in this novel, and something we're going to have to talk about in analysis is Harry's really struggling to control his emotions. Yeah, of late and. That is obviously a very clear-cut example thereof. And I love how Carlos bops him on the nose a little bit there. Um, but his emotional stability is not great. And I wonder, you know, I mean, the I have an idea as to why that may be going back a couple novels. But we've seen it all the way back really through Dead Beat, where mm-hmm. he's not as in control as he thinks he is. And so that's something I really want to talk about as we get through it. Uh, but that just jumped out at me, and I really probably shouldn't be talking about that in the intro, but I, it's that important to me that, that I get it on the table <laughs> because it's something that I, I've pointed out a few fair few times here. Beyond that, this weekend, I was asked to go to California with the team because our I coach the 16s, uh-huh. and there's eight, an 18 and under group. Basically, we, we practice as one high school group, and... She asked me Sunday morning if I wanted to go next weekend, and I said, fuck no. I didn't say fuck. I said, God, no. Um, in my head, I said, fuck no, because I was so tired. Yeah. Where was that? Where's the tournament at in, in California? It's Irvine. Oh, okay. Area. I mean, it's, um, water polo's weird. There's basically, like, two or three different cartels that run tournaments. And I, I mean that. That's the right, that's the correct accurate word. Because you have to have access to pool time yeah, to run tournaments. And they, they run these big tournaments. And so there's basically three different cartels in Southern California. And two of them are connected. So it's really one of the, That's why, you know, it's like two and a half, really. There's one out Ontario way, one in the, the, the um, IE, in the Inland Empire, out Chino. And then there's one out in Southern California. And I, I don't knock these guys specifically because you know get paid however you can but they're driving up the cost of water polo oh that's not good for the end user and it it really is 
it's already a rich white coastal elite sport. And so it's frustrating. Oh uh, yeah. But basically there, if you're going to play in Southern California, there's one of two guys is running the tournament. And uh, one of them is a little more reasonable than the other. And it just is what it is. But in a uh, quirk among quirks, our 18 and under team is in the same bracket this coming weekend as my former club. So oh. they may end up crossing paths. Somebody, if it goes chalk, they won't play each other. Somebody has to upset somebody. But yeah. it, it would be cool for them to play. It also could be devastating to my credibility if uh, <laughs> my new club goes out and beats my old club. <laughs> but I digress. It'd be fun, though. It'd be cool, but I don't think I'm going to go. And I also, I just, I just don't think I can. Back-to-back weekends, I'm, four, I'm a man. I'm 40. I'm an old man. Hey, now. <laughs> Moral of the story, I think I'm going to do nothing this weekend. Huh. And I'm going to actively not watch the Pro Bowl, which is one of my favorite things to do. Every Pro Bowl weekend, me and my dad, we used to get together. We used to not watch the Pro Bowl. You know, it's like, it's like an important nostalgia time, you know? <laughs> Not to actually not watch it. Not watching the Pro Bowl is one of the things that I've done. Like one of the, it's like probably my longest running streak, I think, in my in my life. <laughs> but uh, you got any plans coming up here? Or? I don't know. Next weekend, I'm having a Super Bowl party. And then the weekend after that, I have some friends in town. But I don't think I have anything going Are you sure you're having weekend. a party? Because I am checking my email right now. I don't see an Evite. Maybe you sent them out. And it's in my mailbox? I'm just wondering. <laughs> well, you're more than welcome to come, but it's a bit of a trick. A trek. trek. It, will be, it will be a trick to make that trek. Yes. <laughs> However, I'm just waiting patiently for my invite. Uh-huh. <laughs> and all the tea, tea ploffers of the world are invited also. Obviously. Let's make it a whole, let's make it a, a little bit of hoop, but a whole lot of nanny. It's going to be a lot of gauchos who drink heavily. So it'll be interesting. <laughs> Throw your tortillas to the sky. Goodness gracious. Exactly. All right. Well, in that case, uh, how about you get us caught up and I will get us digging in claws first in the chapter 19. All righty. So there are women missing. There are suicides that aren't suicides. The Order of the Large Cooking Pot is a group of women who have some magical powers. They're not super strong, but they, they've kind of banded together. They work together. And they, we learned, hired Elaine as a private investigator to help figure out where the women that are being abducted from their group are going. We learned last week that there is a guy in a gray cloak that is somehow associated with various white court vampires. There was a passenger in the car, which we were supposed to believe i think we're supposed to believe it was thomas i knew it wasn't thomas and there was stories about the scabies i keep wanting to call them scabies Scavis. um scabies there we go that is killing these people making it look like a suicide the end of the last chunk we learned that olivia one of the ladies of the order of the large cooking pot was walking out of her apartment building on camera with Thomas. Dun, dun, dun. And that's what you missed on Glee. That, that, that is never not funny to me, and I do apologize. I know it's lame. I'm well aware how lame it is. It still makes me giggle. <laughs> I mean... So long as we are, you're aware of how lame it is... Oh, it's, 100%. Well, then it, it becomes part of your charm at that point, you know? Well, it's, it's either that or previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> but that has to come before, not after. You know, 
Well, they actually said it at the end, and that's what you missed on Glee. I actually like that. I've never seen a show. I've never watched Glee. The first couple of seasons aren't too bad. Well, I'm sure. I mean, I've seen clips. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they did it at the end. Well, it would make sense the way that you say it. And if they, right? if they didn't, we need to now add that into whatever show it is that we make lots of money on moving forward. <laughs> oh, should we remind people of NorwestCon? NorwestCon. We're going to NorwestCon. Uh, we are less than two months now. Very excited about it. Woo-hoo. I bought us some stools. <laughs> we are such old people. Goodness gracious me. Oh, right. So Harry leaves mouse with Anna and the large cooking pot crew, as they say, LCP LCP. Yeah. You know me. <laughs> we are showing our age and we're well aware of that. <laughs> Elaine and Harry leave Mouse, and they're about to head out when Priscilla, old turtleneckski, is being a dick. And shock me, shock me. Elaine basically shuts her down. You ungrateful, insufferable, venomous little twit. Shut your mouth. This man is trying to protect you, just like I am. I will thank you to keep a civil tongue in your head while we do our job. We aren't paying you to insult or demean us. You aren't paying me enough to tolerate your rudeness either. Keep it up, and you won't have to worry about my bill. In fact, I suspect that in short order, you will stop worrying about absolutely everything. And for the first time in this entire goddamn novel series, I am so excited for Elaine to exist. <laughs> uh, definitely her her shining moment here, where she just fucking bitch slaps with words. Bitchy turtleneck lady. Bitchy, bitchy turtleneck lady. And it's just so good. And necessary. And necessary, because she's been a jerk to to Harry since he showed up. And, like, a lot of people are jerks to Harry. Some with good reason, some with the other thing. And she really is the other thing. Like, there's just no good reason yeah. to be such a jerk. And, and so Agreed. it is cool, in this case, finally, Elaine, you know, we get our money's worth for having Elaine in the story. She does something positive. So we, we are the first ones to talk shit on her, and we do it pretty much constantly. So credit where credit's due, Elaine. You did. You get a. You get a, a, a silver star for this one. Quite a gold star. I'm not convinced. I don't want to waste my precious gold star stickers on her. Obviously, but I'll use one of my one of the B level ones. You're uh, you're all right in this one. So they head out to the harbor because that is where the tracking spell that he uses to track down Thomas takes them. I do like the conversation where. He tells her his his uh, desire for her to check in with the council. It just strikes me as unreasonable based on how we've seen his interactions with the council go. I don't I don't really get why he's so adamant about her checking in with the council. Right. Like mm-hmm. it would go badly. We know it would go badly. Inevitably. So why why is it something you care so much about? I think it's more just because I don't think he likes lying. Which is reasonable. And so, like, I, I think that it's more like for him, which is why he drops it so quickly. You know, when she says she she's not going to let anyone else basically control her life. Which, again, I, I understand. I And she also has a different frame of reference from how, you know, she was controlled and all of that. Allegedly. So, yes. How she was allegedly controlled by DeMorne. Yeah, no, I some really good conversations with the tea quaffers. The podcast was on fireers of the world this week about how very clearly I am I am not the normal standard 
version of how people see Elaine. And part of that is us, you know, influencing each other and just yes. a race to the bottom of how much we hate Elaine. Yeah. But also there are some questions about it and there are some interesting theories that abound around those circumstances, whether it means Elaine is guilty, Elaine's a good guy, Elaine's a bad guy. All, you know, it, it, the idea of like, why Dumoran was doing what he was doing, you know, was he being controlled by someone? Was he, how, you know, it just, it's a very shady background as these backgrounds tend to be on shady, yeah. you know, shady backgrounds are supposed to be shady and questionable. And, you know, it's a first person narrative adds another layer of mistrust of the facts of the case. And so it really is interesting. And I, and I really do appreciate everybody who reached out this week to, you know, a bot me on the nose and tell me how dumb I am, but B also like lean into there's, you know, there's a couple of theories about Dumorn's state of mind for lack of a better turn in those moments. And we can kind of get into those as we get through it, but it is very interesting, but she has a very unique perspective as far as being controlled and all that. So I, I understand her reticence to go to the white council. And like I said, mm -hmm. Harry, definitely Harry's insistence it's half-hearted, but it also, I don't really feel like it's warranted from a characterization standpoint or even really a narrative standpoint. I, maybe he's just reminding us that she threw the tests, but like most people aren't taking a week break every six chapters. So I, I don't, you know, I thought this novel has been put together in a really masterful way by the author. I, I thought that was kind of glaringly not masterful, if that makes sense. It stood out just by its mediocrity. But um you know, they, they continue this conversation about Thomas. You know, she noticed, she recognized, again, to her credit, she picked up that Harry recognized the killer, quote unquote. She could tell that he had some recognition to that picture of Thomas. Uh -huh. And he denies it briefly and goes on to explain that it's an ally. It's a you know, white court vampire. And I trust him. But he, he continues to use the present tense that he trusts him. And, and she definitely picked up on it. Yeah, exactly. Which I appreciate. Yeah, no, she she definitely catches on that he's being present tense with it. And obviously we as readers recognize that the reasoning for that isn't, they're not just allies who've worked together, right? So they have a deeper relationship, but he can't share that with her. But he does obviously still trust Thomas. You know, we've seen we've yes. seen that now for a couple novels where he has every reason to doubt Thomas. Yeah. He's strong again. He's clearly feeding. You know, we've seen what's happened at his at his apartment. We saw the fight with Madrigal at the garage. You know, like he's clearly not keeping it in. He's he's feeding. He talked about how he you know, he joined the wild hunt, you know, like there's reasons to doubt Thomas. But at the end of the day, Harry's not going to do that to his friends. And mm -hmm. I love it. And you know, certainly his brother, but but his friends in general, he's going to give them the benefit of the doubt. And we, we've seen this in the conversation with Michael, where Michael says, you know, if I need to, I'll take you down. And Harry said, you know, if, if, if it comes to that, I'll want you to. And it's the same thing here, where if Thomas is really the bad guy here, you know, there's a predator inside of him that could be doing these things. And maybe they took control, but my brother would want us to stop him. A hundred percent. Even when he's acknowledging that tiny sliver of doubt and letting that leak into the proceedings, it's not a doubt about who his brother is. It's about what this creature might be doing inside of him. And so he knows that his brother 
is either not guilty or would want him his body to be stopped. Which I love that that like respect and trust he has in Thomas. But also that knowledge of how well he knows. Oh, him, absolutely. Which I really appreciate. It turns out to be him. He'd want me to stop him. Which is so good. Oh. All right. So Harry uses his tracking spell. Uh, he first designed it. We learned he first designed the tracking spell when he kept losing his house keys when he was 14, which I, I love that kind of uh, the history of that spell. And he says he could have used his blood to trace Thomas because they do share a mother, but he could also use his amulet that he habitually wore. And he knows that Thomas wore it just as habitually. And he says, unless someone had taken it away from him, he'd be wearing it now. So we know how the sp- tracking spell we've works. He doesn't him. give a shit. Sorry, we've actually seen him track thomas using this pentacle before right in yes blood rights and it that was to his detriment but he knows thomas is going to have it still so i I love the uh unless you know unless something really bad has happened Mm -hmm. and which we're hoping there isn't anything really bad happening my fingers and toes are crossed exactly so and as we know about this tracking spell it doesn't give a shit about traffic buildings streets whatever and elaine is watching him and and uh, I knew she was wondering what I had used to lock on to our apparent abductor murderer. She didn't push, though. <laughs> she just settled down and trusted me, which is which is good. Another silver star in her her column. Yeah, exactly. Just for keeping her mouth shut. Go fig. And so the, the spell takes him to Burnham Harbor, the piers that stretch out over Lake Michigan. And in a very Indiana Jones way, Harry says, boats. Why did it have to be boats? <laughs> Every time Harry gets involved with the water, it's bad. Like, shit goes to hell, you know. So, we understand. Uh, Elaine says, it smells like dead fish and motor oil. You never did like my cologne. Grr. You need a big stick. Elaine smiled sweetly at me and drew out a heavy chain from her purse. She held both ends in one fist, leaving a doubled length of heavy metal links about two feet. Each of the links glittered with veins of what might have been copper, forming sinuous texts. You're a prisoner to tradition, big guy. You should learn to be a little more flexible. Careful. If you tell me you've got bracelets and a magic lariat in there, I may lose control of my sexual impulses. You can't lose what you've never had. Like the new shield, by the way. Yeah, sexy, huh? Complex. Balanced. Strong. Sophisticated. I'm not sure I could have made a focus for something like that. It took real skill, Harry. Mm. Well, it isn't perfect. It takes a lot more juice than my old shield did. But I figured getting tired faster is far preferable to getting dead faster. So they start figuring out where they're headed. And uh, he tells her to stay about 10 or 15 feet back. And he says, any closer than that, we'd both be a dandy target. Someone could take us both out with one burst from a machine gun. I thought you trusted him. I do, but I don't know who might be with him. And you've learned this kind of thing on the job? Machine guns? Actually, I learned it with flamethrowers. <laughs> But applies to machine guns, too. So they start heading around the dock. And there aren't a lot of people on the docks. It's an overcast summer day. He kind of stands out because he's wearing his cloak. And they. it appears that the spell is sending him to a boat that looked like it could have been a stunt double for Jaws. It was old, battered, and white paint smudged to its faded, peeling gray. The planks of the hull often patched. He gives a really basic description of this. And... um Joshy said it has said it's kind of a, a uh, lazy, kind of a weak, kind of a lazy way to do it, but it so fucking works because everybody knows. Even if you haven't seen that movie, you know what the fucking boat looks like. Yeah, it's like I, I, I've spent this whole novel, you know, every week. I feel like I, I 
pouring praises on how well it's crafted. It's not my favorite book in the series by any means, but it, it's really well written. Like just the his, yeah. his use of like technique is just like so fucking good. And this is one where he just chooses to be like lazy. And I, I think that's also brilliant. <laughs> but it, it's lazy in a way that works perfectly. Yeah, like how many boats, like how many different brands and like versions of boats do you have like kicking around your skull? Like I, I, yeah. I, I don't, you know, but like, so like instead of describing it and making me think about it, they just, he just gives me like basically like a, a like a lattice work. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Gives me a framework of it really simply, which I think is funny. I don't know. I appreciate the laziness. It's a good, I, I, that's probably the wrong word laziness, but it's like, it's, it's just keep it. It's easy. Simple. It's easy. Yeah. Keep it simple. Yeah. Keep it simple. Silly. But I, I really, I kind of like it though, because it's, he doesn't have to give us too much backstory on that. We just, we all know what it looks mm-hmm. like. And we we now know what the pier smells like and what it looks like and what the boat looks like in a very few short number of words. Yeah. Like three sentences. We get like the entire scene. Okay. Perfectly yeah. We got brain. it. Yeah. Yeah. Totally understand it. It's fantastic. Um, and the boat is called the water beetle. Of course it is. And he, you know, double checks the triangulates that it's there. And in his such slick ways. Er, uh, ahoy, Thomas. <laughs> not a big folk guy. I love, I love how much he struggles with the, the nautical terms. Like, a lot of it's in his head, but, like, this is how I would approach a situation. Like, you know, like, oh, I mean, is this a wall or a bulkhead? Am I, like, what? Exactly. Same. What am I doing? Yeah, it's just, it's just, so, it's so dumb, and it's so perfectly hairy, and I love every second of it. It's that those that that way your brain works where you're just like, okay, how am I doing this again? Oh, wait a sec. It's fantastic. I absolutely love it. He he identifies himself and it's still quiet. Harry tells Elaine, I'm getting going aboard. Is that smart? No. You got a better idea? No. Cover me. (laughs) And she says, I thought I was here on a job. Now it turns out I'm half of a buddy cop movie. Uh Uh-huh. I'm the zany yet lovable one. You're the brainy conservative. Mm -hmm. What if I want to be the zany one? Then you can hop out there on the boat. Stop throwing the regulations out the window, she said as if reciting a hassily memorized grocery list. We're supposed to catch the maniacs, not become them. Don't do anything crazy because I've only got two and a half seconds to go until I retire. That's the spirit. <laughs> oh, she She's like piling up the silver stars right now. I don't know. That might be half a silver star. That's pretty good. So he climbs up and he's kind of creeping around the boat. He thought he heard a thumping sound come from below the deck. He says, I froze, but there was no further sound beyond the nearby rumbling engine, which, from the smell of it, was burning a lot of oil. So he kind of slips around the deck house and comes across the short flight of stairs that lead to the cabin. I was aware of a presence, nothing specific really, beyond the sudden intuitive certainty that someone was down there and aware of me in return. Mm Mm-hmm. And he's had this kind of vibe on a couple occasions that, you know, it's not magic. It's just his intuition. And he's got really great intuition. He says that he could probably dance around listening and lurking in hopes of finding some other indication of who was below. But then he, you know, reasonably, he thinks that someone would call the cops. (laughs) Big taller duster creeping around the deck of a boat doesn't exactly uh, bode well. So he says, screw it. I made sure my duster was covering my back, brought my shield up before me, and stepped quickly down the stairs and into the hold. I had maybe a half second of warning when someone came swinging down the stairs behind me. He must have been lying flat and out of sight atop the wheelhouse. 
I started to turn, but two heels hit my right shoulder blade in a double-legged kick and propelled me forcefully down into the hold. The duster was hell on wheels for stopping claws and bullets, but it did me less good against the blunt impact of the kick. It hurt. I threw up the shield in front of me as I fell and cut it again in an instant, since impacting a rigid plane of force would be much like slamming myself into a brick wall. So it kind of slows him down. I came to my knees facing the stairway as Thomas came hurtling down in it. Hurtling down it with mayhem evidently in mind. And he's crouching at the sta- on the stairs with a crooked knife in, a du- in one hand and a double-barreled shotgun in the other. A sawed-off shotgun, of course. He says, Thomas, ow, what is wrong with you? You've got one chance to surrender, asshole. Drop the spells and face the wall. Thomas, stop being a dick. I don't need this right now. Give it up. It's a good act, but I know you aren't Harry Dresden. There's no way the real Dresden would have come here with a woman like that instead of his dog. What the hell is that supposed to be? <laughs> Hell's bells. If you weren't my brother, I'd paste you. Thomas lowered the shotgun. His expression startled. Harry? A shadow moved behind Thomas. Wait! I screamed. A length of heavy chain whipped around his throat. And there's a flash of greenish light and a crackling explosion almost as loud as a gunshot. And of course, Thomas falls onto Harry. So Harry gets squished again. Harry? Called Elaine's voice high and loud. Harry? I said to wait. Did he hurt you? Not until you threw him on me. (laughs) Wasn't true. But being repeatedly bashed about makes me grumpy. I'm I'm scraping one of those silver stars off the list. (laughs) And he realizes his lip is bleeding. And she said she thought he was in trouble. And Thomas is laying on the ground, uncomfortable, and he's moving his lips over, and Harry leans over and asks, What? Ow, he whispered. <laughs> what was that, I asked Elaine. Taser. Stored electricity? Yes. How do you refill how do you refill it? Thunderstorm. Or just plugging it into any wall socket. Cool. Maybe I should get one of those. And Elaine is getting into fighting stance and Harry says, easy there. We came here to talk. Chill the fuck out. Harry, we should at least restrain him. He isn't going to hurt us. Would you listen to yourself for a second? Harry, despite heavy evidence to the contrary, you're telling me that you like and trust a creature whose specialty lies in subverting the minds of his victims. That's the way they all talk about a white court vampire and you know it. That isn't what's happened here. They say that too. I'm not saying any of this is your fault, Harry, but if this thing has gotten to you somehow, this is exactly how you'd be responding to it. He's not a thing, I snarled. His name is Thomas. And then Thomas says, it's all right. You can come out now. And several women and two or three very small children come out from behind the wall. And one of them was Olivia. There, Thomas said quietly. There they are. And they're fine. Check them out for yourself. And, you know, he checks on on Olivia and Elaine asks the women and Olivia if he hurt him. No, no, of course not. He was taking us to shelter. Shelter? Harry, these are some of the women who have gone missing. What the hell is wrong with me? Why didn't you tell me what was going on? He shook his head, his expression still a little bleary. Reasons. Didn't want you involved in this. Well, I'm involved now. So how about you tell me what's going on? You were at my apartment, Thomas said. You saw my guest room wall. Yeah? They were being hunted. I had to figure out who was after them. Why? I got it. At least well enough to be able to figure out who they were planning to kill. It became a race between us. I got everyone out of harm's way and brought them here. Mm, There are another dozen at a cabin on an island about 20 miles north of here. A safe house. You were taking them to a safe house? Yeah. Elaine just stared at the women for a long moment, then at Thomas. Olivia, is he telling the truth? 
As far as I know, he's been a perfect gentleman. I'm pretty sure nobody but me caught it. But at her words, Thomas' eyes flashed with a cold and furious hunger. He may have treated the women gently and politely, but I knew that there was a part of him that hadn't wanted to. Holy shit. And so then the, the oily smoke smell from the ship nearby got stronger. And Harry realized that the boat had moved. It got closer. So he goes up to the deck and sees that it's now floating directly beside the water beetle, blocking it from the open waters of the lake. And there was so much blue-black oil smoke that it could not have been anything but deliberate. A choking hazard had already enveloped the water beetle, and I couldn't see beyond the next row of docks. A figure hurtled from the deck of the boat to land in a tigerish crouch on the little open area of deck at the rear of the water beetle. And holy fucking shit, it's a goddamn ghoul. Thomas, we've got a problem. Thirteen ghouls flung themselves directly at me. Jaws gaping in slavering talons, reaching eyes gleaming with feral bloodlust and rage. Fucking boats. (laughs) Fucking boats. Fucking boats. I have, in general, not had fun during my service as Warden of the White Council. I have taken no enjoyment whatsoever in becoming a soldier in the war with the vampire courts, doing battle with the forces of, I was going to say evil, but I'm increasingly unsure exactly where everyone around me falls on the Jedi Sith Index. (laughs) Doing battle with the forces of things trying to kill me or my friends or people who can't protect themselves is not a rowdy summer adventure movie. It's a nightmare. Everything is violence and confusion, fear and rage, Pain and exhilaration. It all happens fast. And there's never time to think. Never any way to be sure of anything. It's awful, really. But I do have to admit that there's been one positive thing about the situation. I've gotten a lot of extra practice at combat wizardry. And ever since New Mexico, I had absolutely no reservations about ripping ghouls apart with it. It's not flowery. It's not funny. It's not. I mean, there is the funny line about the Jedi Sith Index. and Yeah. But like, it's not a typical intro. No, but it's good. It's fucking good. <laughs> it's really fucking good. And again, we get another reference to New Mexico, which finally Lissy gets to understand. But since then, he's had no reservations about ripping ghouls apart. A lot of the building storyline of the of these novels has been what the Harry's underlying reasons for doing things. Mm-hmm. And this is just another example of that. His pure unadulterated rage that he feels towards ghouls is very obvious here. And obviously later we find out why, but it's just it's just I had absolutely no reservations about ripping ghouls apart with it. Mm-hmm. And that, and he says that that's one positive thing about the situation is his extras apart. Like that's just a- yeah, all this like pain, damn boy, all, all this pain and strife and like suffering he's had to endure since mm-hmm. becoming a warden of the White Council is not necessarily worth it, but certainly like it has created a situation where he's really fucking good at tearing ghouls apart. Yeah, very true. Which, I mean, don't get on Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden's bad side, I think is the kind of the lesson. The, the moral of the story here. Yeah, certainly very important. The nearest ghoul was the closest threat. He continues on this vein. 
but not the greatest opportunity, which is interesting. He talks about his improved telekinetic ring, his improved just kinetic. I guess he needs it. He needs his brain to unleash the power. But he's not moving things with his brain. Yeah, his brain is unlocking the power. Either way. He had it. There was a word for it in the last book. I believe it. Either way. He's not Jean Grey. Okay. No, he's not. Let's let's dispose any myth that he is (laughs) capable of harnessing the Phoenix Force and using it for good or for ill, Alyssa. Let's just stop talking about that right now. Okay. That was my concern. Obviously. Oh, goodness gracious me. What are we talking about here? <laughs> uh, so he talks about the, he does say a blast of telekinetic force from his silver ring. Okay. There so we go. clear. Although I don't, I don't know if I agree with it. I think is why this whole diatribe started. Either way, his rings are more powerful and more developed than they have been in the past. Instead mm-hmm. of one ring with power, you know, with or one blast of force per ring, there's now multiple circles in each band. And he basically has exponentially increased the amount of power he keeps in those rings. And he's got a fistful of them. <laughs> he's got a fistful of them, as they say. A few, dollar, a few dollars more. I like how casual he is with the first one. He says, see ya! And he punches him off the fucking boat. Yeah. Blasts him into the next one. And... Smash the ghouls back. But there's a bunch of his buddies jumping on. It's just absolute chaos here. There's ghouls upon ghouls upon ghouls jumping onto the boat from the ship spitting oil and smoke. He uses his gun, his revolver, to pat pat a couple of them. He blasts a couple more into the lake. It's a really cool, if relatively quick, scene of him, you know, kind of dispatching a bunch of the ghouls to kind of make it a more fair fight. Elaine steps in, she's swinging her chain, you know, spouting Arios and some, you know, her own spell casting and stuff. And it clearly isn't something they can do for long, right? We've seen this in the past where he talks about how, like, combat is exhausting, right? Like, like you, mm-hmm. can, you can do it at a really high level for a short amount of time, or a really low level for a long amount of time, but like we're like actually pouring some energy into this. We got to get the fuck out of here. And he tells oh, yeah. he tells Thomas the same. They can't get the boat out because they're trapped. You know, they're boxed in basically by what we find out soon to be as Madrigal driving the other boat. Bad guy. Bad guy. He's a bad guy. They can't really do anything from there. So he decides he's going to do something loco here. And he tries to make a bridge of ice, as you do. As you do. From the boat that they're on, the water beetle, to the next dock over. That's not a small undertaking, right? He needs to take Mm. a lot of heat out of a lot of water very quickly. And as we've seen how hard spellcasting is in this universe, it takes a ton of focus a ton of will and basically he's tapping himself out by trying to do this. He refers to it as, you know, think about when you're heating a tea kettle, if you want to, or rather freezing, you want to freeze the a tea kettle, you got to take away that much heat. And now if you multiply that by about a bergillion, that's the amount of water he's trying to freeze. And I, I love later mm-hmm. when he's not sure if it worked. <laughs> he wonders if he got, 
how many Virgilian tea kettles? If this math was wrong by a Virgilian tea kettle. <laughs> yes. I love that. It's just so dumb. And like the thoughts you have in your head in crisis. I just, I love it to death. Mm -hmm. And it's very funny. The women and children skedaddle and they get clear onto the next dock. And he sends Elaine and Thomas and he wants to go last because, well, really, the real reason is because he's a fucking Joan of Arc and he has this complex, but ostensibly it's because he's heavy and he doesn't want to, you know, break it. For the people in front of him, which... It's also a reasonable... It does turn out to be reasonable, but let's be real here. He wants to be the last one because he has to be the last one, derpader. Um, God love you, Harry Dresden. And he sends them all, and he, you know, as he jumps off the boat, he lands on the ice a little bit too hard, and he hears it crack and groan. He's only got to get 20 feet to the next dock. But suddenly it looks like miles away. Behind him, he hears the ghouls charging, and they're obviously slamming into the ice behind him. This is bad, this is bad, this is bad! <laughs> One of the ghouls vanishes into the water with a scream of protest. More cracks, even thicker, begin to race out now ahead of him. Help me! Thomas screams, pointing over his shoulder. He turns, and we see Madrigal Wraith standing now on the deck of the water beetle, not more than ten feet away. He gives a delighted smile. And you know those wraiths, it's gotta be a great smile. Yes. Then he lifts a heavy assault rifle to his shoulder and opened fire. Motherfucker. Alright, so Madrigal is aiming at Harry with an assault rifle. I screamed in order to summon up my primal reserves and to intimidate, intimidate Madrigal into missing me, and definitely not because I was terrified. While I unleashed down to take cover, <laughs> to the untrained eye, I was just cowering and pulling my duster up to cover my head, but it was actually part of a cunning master plan designed to let me survive the next three or four seconds. Madrigal Wraith looks much like Thomas. He's a slim, dark, pale, and handsome man. Hmm, sound familiar? He was just as strong and swift as Thomas, and if he could shoot half as well, there was no way he would miss me. Not at that range. And he didn't. The spell work I'd laid over my duster had stood me in good stead on more than one occasion, but he hadn't designed the coat to stand up to this. And he, he talks about the military-grade weapons and ammunition, where this type of military round, they're not NATO rounds, where they, NATO rounds, I think, are the ones that, like, fragment, so they don't shoot, get the person behind you. Military rounds just go right on through. But basically, they aren't meant to do anything other than go through the, go through the body. Pew. They tend to smash their way through just about anything that got in their way. And he said, the shots hit me not in a string of separate impacts the way I had thought it would be, but in one awful roar of noise and pressure and pain. Everything spun around. I was flung over the fracturing ice, my body rolling. The sun found a hole in the smoke and glared down into my eyes. I felt a horrible, nauseated wave of sensation flood over me, and the glare of the light in my eyes became hellish agony. If only the damned light wouldn't keep burning my eyes like that. It wouldn't be so bad out here, I growled to Ramirez. I held up a hand to shield my eyes from the blazing New Mexico sun. Every morning, it's like someone sticking needles in my eyes. So Ramirez is standing there in his military surplus BDUs, 
And, you know, they have a little chit chat about glasses and Harry says he doesn't like anything over his eyes. Mm. He talks about who's up next for training and it's the terrible twosome, the Trailman twins. You're kidding. They're 12 years old. 16. Ramirez contradicted me. 12, 16, they're babies. They don't have time to be babies, man. They've got a gift for evocation and we need them. 16, hell's bells. All right, let's get some breakfast. So they talk, he describes the warden's trainee camp and it had been a boom town, a copper boom town, in fact, in the middle of the mountains up in New Mexico, down in New Mexico. Ramirez and I had lobbied to christen the place Camp Kaboom, given it was a boom town and we were teaching magic that generally involved plenty of booms of its own. But Lucio had overridden us. <laughs> One of the kids had heard us, though. And by the end of the second day there, Camp Kaboom had been a name, despite the disapproval of establishment. <laughs> I love that. So basically, they've set up, they've set up camp in the walls of a church and just the bits and pieces of a, an old boomtown. We taught kids all day and evening. And once it had gotten cold and the trainees were asleep, we played poker and drank beer. And if I got enough in me, I would even play a little guitar. Ramirez and the young guys would get up bright eyed and bushy tailed every night or every day. And Harry didn't. And, it, you know, breakfast was a, you know, it wasn't that comp- that creative and crazy. It was just cereal. But there was coffee. <laughs> and that's the big thing. Um, and this on this particular morning, Harry grabbed his coffee and his cereal and walked over to a, a, a rock away from everybody. And Lucio came over. He talks about how Lucio's change from the into the body of the corpse taker. And she says that he got mailed. And we learned that he had written a letter to one of the wardens, Warden Yoshimo, uh, to find out if she was related to an old friend of his who was a descendant of Shotai, the last king of Okinawa. And it sounds like they are related. It isn't relevant to teaching apprentices combat magic. And I should have my head in the game, not on side projects. Ah, Lucio said and did not press for further details. Dresden, there's something I've been meaning to talk to you about. Have you never wondered why you did not receive a blade? Actually, I hadn't really wondered. I assumed you didn't trust me. She frowned at me. I see. No, that is not the case. If I did not trust you, I would certainly not allow you to continue wearing the cloak. Is there anything I could do to make you not trust me then? Because I don't know where to go. No offense. None taken. But we need you. And the cloak stays on. Damn. So we learn that the body that Lucio currently inhabits doesn't have the same aptitude and potential for magic that her original body did. And so she is unable to make those swords. She had been the one who had tailored these swords to each of the wardens in her lifetime, and she was no longer able to. And she says, until someone else manages to adapt my design to their own talents, or until I have retrained myself, I'm afraid that no more such blades will be issued. And he says, it must be hard on you, the new body. A big change after so long in the first one. She blinked at me, eyes briefly wide with surprise. I, yes, it has been. Are you doing okay? Headaches, memories that aren't mine. I think they belong to the original owner of this body. They come mostly in dreams. It's hard to sleep. And of course, it had been a hundred and forty years since I put up with either sexual desire or a monthly cycle. It 
uh, oh. sounds awkward <laughs> and unpleasant. Very mostly. Thank you for asking. In any case, I felt I owed you an explanation. You didn't, but thank you. Automatic weapons fire ripped the dew-spangled morning. And they get up and fucking run. As we ran, there was the continued chatter of weapons fire, screams, and then a couple of awfully loud explosions and an inhuman scream. I cut up to the captain of the wardens as we came into sight of the breakfast area and I let her take the lead. I'm pig-headedly chivalrous, not stupid. <laughs> And it was just a mess. There was a hole in the wall of the blacksmith shop and there was a heavy barrel of a weapon on the ground and it was a fucking red hot mess. And Ramirez tells Lucio to get down and she didn't slow, waver or slow. She threw out her right hand, fingers spread. I didn't see what she'd done, but the air between us and the slope of the mountain above suddenly went watery with haze. Where? She shouted. I've got two wounded ghouls here. At least two more upslope. Maybe 120 meters. And this is a, you know, they've been attacked. Their base has been attacked. It's a military maneuver. And we learned that they took two of the kids. Lucio yells for the trainees to stay down. Be still. Be quiet. Do not give your position away by sound or movement. She is drawing the fire to herself. And she realizes that only one of them is firing because the other guy is trying to get out of there with the hostages. She says, we must protect the trainees foremost, and we can't help the wounded while we're still taking fire. He tells her to hold the haze and keep all of the young people hidden, and the shooter is his. She nodded, but her eyes showed something of wounded pride as she said, Harry, I can't hold it for long. And Harry draws up his sight, and he could see through the haze. He can see all of the imprints left other the past days and ghostly glimpses of things that happened during its heyday, which is kind of a fucking cool image. Like just thinking about that, thinking about the, like how it would look on screen is, would be really, really neat. This would be a cool scene. Which is really cool. I love that. But it also kind of almost reminded me of ghost cavalry. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. From the um, dark hollow because about the same time period, it was just, Oh yeah. yeah, Okay. Yeah. Yeah, just like the old tiny stuff that you're seeing there. I, I love that he threw in. I mean, it's a throwaway yeah. line, but like about how this dude died by suicide and still haunts the, the area. You know, it's just, it's just by night, his shade still lingered, leaving fresh imprints behind. And that's why he can still see it because it leaves fresh imprints every night. Cool stuff. He keeps going and he realizes he doesn't have his rod or staff with him. And so he's got nothing to focus his magic. So he throws some fire because why not? You know, how is he doing it, though? Like, without the focus, it's got to be so fucking like, like, he's got to be like basically leaking energy. Well, and it's probably like, you know, when you have like a hose that doesn't have an end on it and it just sprays like kind of thing versus when you have like a hose that has like the sprayer head on it and it's a nice direct thing. We get probably a third of it gets to your uh, destination. That's how it was in my head. But he talks about how the, the ghoul has a, uh, a Kalishnikov, which is a Russian-made uh, Cold War Cold War time period. Today, I didn't even have to use my AK. I got to say, it was a good day. Exactly. They're old. That's the one thing you have to know. Kalishnikovs were made in the USSR. I actually had a case where there was a Kalishnikov involved. And I was like, oh, it's a Kalishnikov. And the deputy's like... It's important to know what these things mean because, like, you know, like the Armalite... 15 people think like oh you think it means assault rifle no no no, it means armalite but 
That doesn't mean it's not an assault weapon. Um, I know these things. I, I like, I know the, the shit so that you can't just get like gotcha when you're having gun control conversations with conservatives. <laughs> but yeah, Kalishnikov is like a, he's a gun. He's like a, he's a gun guy. So it may also be, he made lots of guns. He didn't only make the AK-47. The AK-47 is obviously the most famous, but uh, either way. So he finds the ghoul and he takes him out with a fuego. Um, he's got no directed energy. He's got nothing to focus his energy. So it's just a red hot mess. He burns up half the hillside and then he heads back down to the encampment and they, he finds out they had two, the, the terrible twosome had been taken as hostages and neither of them know how to do tracking, but they do have some. I do. I do like that back and forth where, where Ramirez is like, I grew up in fucking LA. Like, what the fuck? Like, I don't know how to do some fucking. I don't. I don't go hiking in East LA, man. Like, <laughs> I think this just goes back to how much I love Ramirez in everything he does. And so Ramirez says that they're weasels. Uh, they are what they are, man. There's no use in hating them for it. Just be glad we can use it to the advantage. To advantage. Let's go. Here he comes in and he sees the ghouls that they've captured. One of them, Ramirez, has blasted. The right arm and leg off of one of them. So this is going to come up later that there's a ghoul who only has a left leg and a left arm. But ghouls are, as you know, Harry's mentioned, they're they're really fucking hard to kill. So like he uh Yeah, this is there's there's a wounded ghoul who looks like a ghoul, and then there's another one who looks mostly human. Right? We've seen this in the past with the tigress. Where there's the old lady that <laughs> they very clearly point out an old lady that Lizzie's like, oh, this guy's going to fucking kill somebody. And she tried to kill somebody. But we've seen lots of ghouls. Not lots. We've seen a fair few number of ghouls where they try to like look. They have like a human look. And they're both wearing ragged sand colored robes. Uh, again, Harry. I like that Harry's the one using it. So Butcher's using Harry's movie knowledge to explain what these things look like right just like just like the water beetle these are just dudes looking like they're lawrence of arabia so it's to me just means white guys in like robes and uh turbans i'm guessing like that's just kind of how i visualize it. i don't know like well it's like they're dressed for the desert but more like the saudi desert rather than the American, yeah which is uh, New weird desert. but i guess i guess one dressing for one desert is a lot like dressing for another well, now that I think about it. Yeah, but it's I think it's kind of a lost in translation thing. Yeah, like so like they thought they blend in, but they really are like not at all blending in. Is that what you mean? Yeah. <laughs> I gotcha. Ghouls are dumb, I think is the point that we're making here. <laughs> well, and the, the whole thing is is they're not very smart. They can figure things out, but it's also like kind of that that whole idea of they might not be very they're not crafty. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, no, for sure. And we we get more of that here where they can't even they can't speak English like they don't they have no clue they 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 can't blend in and Ramirez brings that up he's like that's stupid like who bothers to see ghouls into the country as covert muscle if they can't pass as locals and it's like well yeah they they don't need to pass as locals they just sneak through away and they come be muscly muscle muscle guys and they muscle it up so we basically ascertained the fact that. They had to have come through a way because there are wards all around Camp Kaboom. And as Ramirez says, like we thought the wards extended into the never, never, 
But the Never Never is a tricksy place, and so they, they had to have found a way through. They don't speak English. Ramirez tried in Spanish. They can't speak in Spanish. And so what Harry realizes is he's going to have to lash this shit up. And he has her translate for him. So he's speaking English. And what they hear is, I believe, ancient Sumerian? I don't know. English? Because, or is he... Because oh, between mind and mouth for her or they or them. I, it, so I in Harry's brain, he's speaking English, but coming out his mouth is it ancient yeah, Sumerian? Yeah. So like, that's what I okay. That's what I thought because the guy's giving. Yeah. So look, Carlos is standing here, and his buddy, who has never suggested he knows anything about anything, basically, <laughs> besides fire magic, he knows how to make things explode. And now he's speaking ancient Sumerian to these ghouls, which is. Certainly interesting. A, a bit unusual. Yeah, it pops. Let's just say it pops for Carlos. So he's speaking to them in the language that they understand. And they now explain to him, you know, they, you know they, they want, they'll tell him what's up if they get their freedom. And he says, you know, fuck you. Your freedom was forfeit as soon as you attacked kids. But I'll give you your lives if we get these kids back. Again, this is us, we'll talk about what it means for him to speak through Lashiel's voice um, later here, but it's certainly problematic if, and only if, you think of Lashiel as a bad guy. For me, I think this is great. This is teamwork. That's fucking teamwork. I think it's sort of a neutral moment. You think that? Yes. Interesting. How do you think? Well, we'll talk about that later because this is, we got to analyze that. But the ghoul tells them that they are up the hill in the mine shaft. You know, the first, go left at the first sign of sunlight or whatever the fuck. You know, some ghouly description, which I do love, by the way, how their directions are different than out. It makes sense, but it's also just very well done. Again, like in the caves above this dwelling. The, the first deep shaft from the light of the sun in the stones near it is a way to the realm of shadows. Like, it's fucking brilliant how different that is to a description that you or I would give under interrogation, right? To the same exact cave, right? But they, but they speak ancient Sumerian, so they're going to not have the same sort of colloquial conversation. They're ancient. That's fair. Yeah, their, collo- their colloquialisms will be different, but like, but yeah, but just the idea of like the first deep shaft from the light of the sun is like yeah, you know, like the, the third the third tunnel oh, on I the left. That you know what I mean? The first deep I just, shaft I love is a... the highest shaft. Sure, because the light of the sun is above, so it's the highest mine. Okay, no, no, I dig that. But that's what I'm saying is that for you or I, I would say the highest one. I just love how different it is because their lived experiences are different. Ghouls have a different way of thinking about things, right? Like. It's just really cool that the translation isn't, oh yeah, it's the third, third, third mine on the right. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like, I don't know, maybe I'm baby fooding this, but it's just fucking brilliant writing. I just love the way he gives them their own voice in a very different way from our own language. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like, this isn't even in my, this probably isn't in my top 10 of the seventeen. I don't think it's bad. I like it. I like all of these novels. But like, it may not, it might, it's certainly not in my top five. It might not even be in my top 10. And this might be the best written of the bunch. Uh, Certainly so far, I think it's not even close. And that's a, I don't know how you feel, but like, I just think like his authorship, like his, his like 
He's just developing. Yeah, exactly. But it's just so fucking good. I love it. The ghouls weren't there to take prisoners. They were just supposed to, to it was just supposed to be a raid, right? They were just supposed to bust stuff up, kill some shit, and get the fuck out. So they're going to go hope to God that these two kids are alive and they can go catch them, you know, get them back. He tells the ghouls to remain there. At the first sign of disobedience or treachery, treachery, you will die. And this, like, great one, great one. It's interesting. We've seen his, we'll talk about that later, I guess, reputation. But we see his reputation grow here among the ghouls. And it's interesting um, how that will project down the road. And I would they were calling him Great One because he gave them a lot. Well, and because he can speak their language. That's fair. So obviously he knows more than the, the normal the normal wizards would. That's fair. He has some sort of extra power, I guess you could say. Yeah, no, you know, he's definitely a cut above for sure. And you see how quickly yeah. the, later on the uh, the other ones you know, he calls him Great One as well without a connection to this. So you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Like they recognize this dude's fucking special. Like, holy fuck, he could speak to us. Maybe only. Like, he might not, they might not even understand the concept of it being a different language. They might not understand that concept of linguistics. Oh, yeah. Just like, what, what? They can never understand the wizards, but holy fuck, we can understand this guy. What the fuck is going on here? Yeah, no, I like that a lot. That's an interesting, that's a really interesting angle. Because I talked about how their language was different. Their understanding of everything's different. Yeah. Ooh, I fucking like that ice. I thought that's a good one. Oh, God. So he and Ramirez are going to hustle out, and Myers is like, yeah, let me, I'll get some kids, to, you know, I'll get some trainees to watch over them. I'll, I'll come with you. And Ramirez is like, they're trainees. You're the warden. Like, you fucking stay. We'll go. Which, again, I just, every, this scene is just so fucking great. Like, I want, I want this to be on, it does kind of remind me of the opening scene in The Last Crusade where River Phoenix is, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> just because of the mines and the yeah. the caves. Yeah. Uh, that's just like... Only it's a lot more, because in that, it's all, they're hiding and it's very sneaky. And in this, Harry's like, I don't got fucking time to be sneaky. Fuck this shit. Oh, yeah. And he has that, he even has that thought process as he gets up there. But I love a couple parts of this that I really want to point, like, point out. He's running up the hill. And as he's running, he slams his staff into the ground. And it's to evoke Hellfire. It's, mm-hmm. He's not actually casting a spell. All he's doing is gathering Hellfire. But because of the violent nature of it, I think it really connects with the Hellfire. Like he slams his staff down and like kind of gathers that extra angry, angry, violent, hellish energy. Something about that just resonated with me. So he's blasting up this hill and he's leaving Ramirez in the dust. He gets into the caves themselves, the mine shafts, and one of the ghouls has been left behind. Or rather, I wonder if this was always the plan from the circle or whoever it was here that was reaching out, mm-hmm. that they sent the ghouls saying, this is your way out, but there never was a way out. Possibly. That they closed it behind them. I don't really have any evidence for that, but that's kind of... You know, he's sitting there in between desperate gasps, scratching the wall. His claws are broken. He's bleeding all over the wall, right? Like, he was expecting 
there to be an opening here. Mm -hmm. But he was betrayed, betrayed, reckoning. Oh, yes, balancing of the scales. Let me in! And, ugh, I fucking, I, I... I want to skip this scene, but I'm, this is the thing, the things I do for love of twopped quaffers. Like, I, I hate every word I'm going to say for the next three minutes here. Um, the brother, you see the brother fighting, like he's got defensive wounds. He's, his knuckles are torn. He bit the fucking, the shit out of the ghoul. He's fought and clawed because, and this, this line is the one that absolutely fucking breaks me is two feet further on was the source of his motivation. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just for clear, I'm crying right now. Um, his sister was getting fucking eaten alive, and so he fucking freaked out, and he's trying to fight, and I, like... He tried to get to her. He tried to save her. He did what he could, and he... It wasn't enough, and he died, and she's not actually dead yet. Like, she's... Her heart is still fucking pumping, but there's nothing left. Um... And uh, Harry reacts the way that he fucking should. I like, I wish it was a Forza. Again, we've seen this a couple times where he, Fuego's, but I think he should Forzare. But he comes down, he blasts the fucking ghoul in the back, the small of the back, and shatters a couple vertebrae just, just with the staff itself. But he adds Forzare. Which but he's more. using Hellfire. Sorry, sorry, sorry. He adds Fuego, excuse me. But it, like that—that's the thing. It's not just fuego. It's a oh, yeah. It's a fuego de diablo. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but just the—I love that the the just the blow. He hit it in the back of the the small of the back, and that broke vertebrae by itself. Now add yeah. on to that, he throws fuego and hellfire. And he says, "I called upon still more of the dark energy in mid leap." Staff gripped in both hands and rammed the tip into the small of the ghoul's back as I snarled fuego. Yeah, fuck this ghoul. Ouchies. He tears it in half. So and clear. it's so significant, it fills the tunnel with thunder and light. Ugh. It tears the ghoul in half at the waist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holy fuckballs. I, um... And the thing is, he's using a huge amount of fire in an enclosed area. Mm -hmm. So he's gotten over his fear of fire. <laughs> he's, he's, he's done with that, yeah. Oh my god. I, uh, sorry. I just, this is, this is one of those chapters I wish was Lissy's. Um, he gets burned a little bit. He kicks the lower half of the ghoul down the mine shaft. <laughs> And he's holding this motherfucker up. And I guess he calls him great one before he even talks. But he just realizes how fucking powerful this motherfucker is. You know, he, he, this is a mantra he goes back to over the next couple of chapters. Like, 16 years old. 16, Carlos, right? Like he says it a couple of times. And mm -hmm. I didn't want to kill the ghoul. That wasn't nearly enough to cover the debt of its sins. I wanted to rip it to pieces. I wanted to eat its heart. I wanted to pin it to the floor and push my thumbs through its beady eyes and all the way into its brain. I wanted to tear it apart with my fingernail and my teeth and spit mouthfuls of its own postured flesh into its face as it died in slow and terrible agony. 
the quality of mercy was not hairy. So he's burning the fucking thing alive, and he grabs it, and he says, Never! Never again! As it shows it, the corpses of the children, he throws it down the shaft. It is burning on the inside, and it catches fire as it goes down. I have to imagine that ghoul is like the parrot. It is no more. Ugh. And stinky. I'm just thinking of the smell of burning ghoul, because we know the ghoul's blood smells disgusting. Just think of the olfactory element of this. No, thank you. And I've smelled some nasty shit in my day. <laughs> Carlos comes up, and... <laughs> we know Carlos. And that's how he says, Ramirez is rarely at a loss for words. Mm-hmm. just it's a lot and he sees the kids Dios he picks up his staff and heads back to camp Zerdesden I ignored him Hattie 16 Carlos 16 it had them for less than 8 minutes Hattie wait what the hell was I thinking staff and blasting rod and most of my gear in the damn tent we're at war there was security in place. We've been here for two days. There was no way you could know this was coming. We're wardens, Carlos. We're supposed to protect people. I could have done more to be ready. He gets in front of him and plants his feet. And like, again, this is just... Harry's going down the mountain, basically, down the hill. And Carlos in front of him, like, dude, fucking calm down. I don't remember consciously doing it. But the runes of my staff begin to burn with hellfire. I'm going back a line here, but like, you're right. This is war. Bad things happen to people, even if nobody makes any mistakes. Carlos, get out of my way. He's bringing up Hellfire basically like for Carlos, right? Like he's not going to use, I don't think he's, at any point he's thinking about using this power on Carlos, but like, it just, I touched on earlier in this section about how he's not in control. He's not in control. No. And as they get back to camp, he sees Lucio. She's carrying a wounded trainee on a stretcher. There's medical kits and there's more wardens. We've got reinforcements through the Never Never. But there's two silent shapes lying close to together on one side. So now we're at four corpses. And I've read this a couple times this week. That can't be the twins, right? The two shape, silent shapes lying close together covered... That has to be two, two victims from the raid, right? Two more. Yeah. Yeah, that's, what, that's my understanding of it. But he doesn't really, like, talk about it. And he goes into, I mean, this is so fucking badass. Just so we're clear, this scene, I get that it's, oh, it's torture and it's, and it's wrong. Dur, dur, dur. I fucking love this scene. Just so we're clear, I was crying five minutes ago. <laughs> so suck my dick, ghouls. I'm okay with this. He goes into the basically the interrogation room where these two ghouls, remember one of them has no right limbs. Mm-hmm. And Harry blasts them both through the wall, out of the camp, into the fucking desert with a forzare. <laughs> I love, mm-hmm. I walked after them. I didn't hurry. In fact, I picked up a jug of orange juice off one of the breakfast tables and drank some of it as I went. 
<laughs> this is so cinematic and so fucking badass. Just, it's very action movie hero walking away from the burning building. Oh, I love it. Moment. You are correct. And he forzares another hole in the ground, kicks the shit out of one of them, the one that's mostly human looking into it, and buries him up to the neck. He then uses fire to make the fucking sand around his head into a sheet of glass. It screamed and screamed, which did not matter to me in the least. That is so fucking metal and so (laughs) cold-blooded. The heat of the molten sand burned away its features, its eyes, its lips, its tongue. So this is now an eyeless, melted creature. He pours the jug of juice on its head. Some of it sizzled on the narrow band of glass. Like, just this, this is so fucking metal. Pretty gnarly. And he, he, you know, leaves a trail, drip, 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 of the orange juice from the head until an enormous nest of fire ants that one of the trainees had stumbled onto earlier this week. And he looks at the second ghoul, who again has no right arm and no right leg. I'm not going to kill you. You get to carry word to your kind. Tell them this. Never again. Tell them that. Never again. Or hell itself will not hide you from me. Great one, great one, it, it grovels. And he kicks the shit out of it. Until it rolls away and hobbles out. Freakishly and terrifyingly. <laughs> Freakishly and terrified, rather. Heading out into the open mm-hmm. desert. By the time we saw that ghoul leave, the ants had found his buddy. And he stood for a time and beheld what he had wrought. Ramirez comes up and says, Dios. What happens to not hating them? Things change. And this line, I fucking love. And, like, Carlos is the man. How many lessons will it take the kids to learn this one, do you think? <laughs> like, fuck yeah! Like, I love what Harry's doing, but also, it's fucking psychotic. Yeah! Battle is one thing. This is something else. Look at them. And he turns and looks at the trainees. And they're seeing what Harry's doing. I mean, they'll all be scared of Harry. They will be scared of Harry. They'll be permanently scarred if they survive the war. That they are going to be. He recognizes it. He pulls his gun and executes the ghoul. Deals. Never seen you like this. Neither have I, Carlos. Neither have I. (laughs) I'm worried about this guy. He started to feel the burns, you know, from all the f- shit in the mine shaft and whatever. It's like, like what? Gold. That's the only way to serve it up. A wise man did once say. Actually, I don't know if he was a man. Revenge is the d- best served cold. Yeah, was he a Klingon? I don't think he was a man. Either way, revenge is definitely a dish best served cold. Either way, cold. Cold. He goes back to himself and he is recognizes he's... In the water, cold-ass water that he made colder and asser with his magic moments ago of Lake Michigan. And Thomas and Elaine are both soaked, and they've pulled him out of the water, and they've helped save him. She gets another goddamn silver star. And they get him out. You know, we can't, we can't stay here. 
slings him over his shoulder. I'm thinking like a fireman's carry kind of situation. Mm-hmm. But he does it relatively gently. As gently as he could. As gently as he could. As, you know, they're ru- rushing off. And I love how much... This shows how much Thomas loves and cares about his brother, right? When he says, I gotcha. That doesn't matter. It's cool, Harry. That doesn't matter. They're safe. We got everyone clear. I gotcha. That's what Harry needed to hear. Mm-hmm. They're safe. We got everyone clear. My brother's word was good enough for me. I closed my eyes and stopped trying to keep track of things. He wakes to someone touching him. And he says, there is a primal reassurance in being touched. In knowing that someone else, someone close to you, wants to be touching you. There is a bone-deep security that goes with the brush of a human hand. A silent reflex affirmation. That someone is near. That someone cares. It seemed lately I had been, I had barely been touched at all. Damn it, Lush. I, I mumbled. I told you to stop doing that. And then Elaine says, it's well. what, what was that, Harry? <laughs> he wakes and he's laying on a bed in a cheap hotel room with his head on Elaine's legs. And he says that my head lay comfortably upon her calves as it had so many times before. My legs hung off the end of the bed also as they had often done before a long time ago in a house I barely remembered except in dreams. She asks if he's hurting him. She says he isn't. And she asks after Lash, no one I especially want to discuss. And she, we learn she's doing Reiki using some of her basic powers of moving energy with the movie's shit about hand healing with touch. Um, And she says she hasn't quite figured out how to manage huge trauma or infectious diseases, but it works in handling bruises and sprains and bumps. She's touching him and kind of caressing him, I guess. But he said, it felt amazing. I drifted on the sensations, utterly content. All right. How does that feel? Incredible. You always say that when I'm done touching you. Not my fault if it's always true. Flatterer. Boo! Let me up, ape. What if I don't want to? Men. I pay you the least bit of attention and you go completely paleolithic on me. Ugh. He realizes that there's a big old lump on his head and it doesn't hurt like it should. Uh, We learn that he's been out for about eight hours. She says, I sort of lose track when I'm focused on something. I remember. I suppose you would. He goes out to, he looks out the door, the window, and we learn that they are in South Side of Chicago in a real ghetto place. But there are no shark fins circling, no vultures wheeling overhead, and no obvious ghouls or vampires lurking nearby, just waiting to pounce. He goes to the door and realizes she has warded it. A very simple ward, but it's complex enough that it'll just slam somebody out in the parking lot. Um, I hate how many goddamn silver stars I have. He reviews that uh, Magical has opened up assault rifle slash a light, and then he was in the water. We thought he'd killed you. You started to crouch down, and there were bullets shattering the ice all around you. You went into the water, and the vampire, Magical, did you say his name was? He ordered the ghouls in after you. I sent Olivia and the others to shore, and Thomas and I went into the water to find you. Who hit me in the head? Either a bullet hit your coat after you crouched down and then bounced off your thick skull without penetrating, or you slammed it against some of the shattered ice as you went under. 
A bullet might have bounced off my head, thanks to the intervening fabric of my spell-covered coat. That was a sobering, sobering sort of thing to hear, even for me. Thank you for getting me out. I was bored and didn't have anything better to do. I figured. Thomas? He's all right. He had a car near the docks. I drove that clown car of yours, and, he, and we shoehorned everyone into them and got them away clean. With any luck, Madrigal had a tougher time avoiding the cops than we did. Nah, too easy. He got away. Where's Thomas? Standing watch outside, he said. He looked very pale. He refused to stay in the room with, this, with his refugees. Or me, for that matter. And we all know fucking why. Um, he asks after the Ordo, and she says, I didn't want to go until I could be certain that I wouldn't lead anyone back to them. I called them every couple of hours to make sure they were all right. I should check in with them again. She calls them and no one answers, which is problematic. Uh, she picks up her chain and puts it through her belt loops, uh, fastening it with a piece of dark wood and leather. So obviously she's done this before. He opens up the door, sticks his hand out, lets out a sharp whistle, and waves an arm. Waves a, waves an arm around outside, and uh, it didn't take long for Thomas's footsteps to reach the door. Harry, Elaine says mildly alarmed, the ward. I held up a forefinger in a one-second kind of gesture, then folded my arms, stared at the door, and waited. The doorknob twitched, there was a heavy thud of a gasp of surprise, and a loud clatter of empty trash cans. I opened the door and found my brother flat on his back in the parking lot, and a <laughs> amount of spilled garbage. He stared up the sky for a moment and let out a long-suffering sigh, and then sat up, scowling at me. Oh, sorry about that. Maybe I should have told you about a potentially dangerous situation, huh? I mean, that would have been polite of me to warn you about it, right? And sensible and intelligent and respectful and... I get it. I get it. Jesus Christ, Harry. There are days when you can be a total prick. Whereas you can apparently be a complete moron for weeks at a time. <laughs> I love to see a good testosterone-laden alpha male dominant struggle as much as the next woman... But don't you think it would be smarter to do it where half of the city can't see us? So they head inside after Thomas touches something exceptionally gross and then grabs Harry's hand to help him up. Because he's petty. Yeah, I love that. Uh -huh. So Harry washes his hands and puts his glove back on. And Okay, Thomas, seriously, what's up with the secrecy? You couldn't have, you should have contacted me. I couldn't. Why not? I promised someone that I wouldn't. How much can you tell me? I've already said more than I should have. Don't be an idiot. We've obviously got a common enemy here. Thomas grimaced, gave me a hesitant glance, and then said, We've got several. I traded a glance with Elaine, who, sh who glanced at Thomas, shrugged, and suggested, Bruce's fate? <laughs> I love that. That's her first thought is, well, let's beat the shit out of him. <laughs> God damn it, that's another silver star! No, it's not. She's a bad guy. She can be a he, bad guy with lots of silver stars. If he isn't talking, he has a good reason for it. Beating him up won't change that. Then we should stop wasting time here. What's wrong? We've lost contact with the women Elaine is protecting. Damn it. That means... What? Look, you already know Madrigal is around. 
and that he's already always sucking up to House Malvora. For the love of God. He's the passenger. He's the one working with Greycloak, the Malvora. I didn't say that. You didn't have to. He didn't just happen to show him, and it all fits. Passenger was talking horses to take me out. He obviously decided to take a whack at it with a bunch of ghouls and a machine gun. Sounds reasonable. You already know there's a scavis around. Yes. Time to do some math then, Harry. Madrigal and Madrigal and Greycloak the Malvora, the genocidal odd couple, neither of which is a scavis. It means we aren't talking about one killer. We're talking about three of them. Greycloak Malvora, Passenger Madrigal, and Serial Killer Scavis. Wait, are you saying that? I'm not saying anything. Those are all things you already know. You're trying to maintain deniability. Why? So I can deny telling you anything, obviously. So I can deny! <laughs> no fucking shit. And they have a moment, and, and Harry says, Elaine, back off. The enemy of my enemy, okay? I don't like it. You know what he is, Harry. How do you know you can trust him? I've worked with him before. He's different. How? A lot of vampires feel remorse about their victims. It doesn't stop them from killing over and over. It's why, it's what they are. I gazed him. He's trying to rise above the killer inside him. Aren't we all? So she's a killer. <laughs> Just saying. Aren't I'm so we low. all? Mm-hmm. That, See is that, that is an interesting line. Loaded fucking statement. Like the most loaded statement of the entire novel. I'm still not comfortable with the near notion of him near my clients, and we need to get moving. Go ahead. You need to eat. Maybe later. I can't leave the women and children unguarded. And he says, call Murphy. You won't be able to protect anyone if you're too weak, and you might kill one of them if you lose control of the hunger. Thomas's jaw tightened with frustration, but he took the offered piece of paper. You're different than most of them, aren't you? Probably just more diluted. Good luck, Harry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, after all this is done, we've got to talk. There's nothing to talk about. And he left. They took the blue beetle back to the Amber Inn and go to Elaine's room, and the room is empty. There was a terrible sewer smell in the air. Ugh. Damn it, Elaine whispered. She suddenly sagged and leaned against the doorway. Harry walks into the bathroom. Amber Ash's corpse stood in the shower, body stiff, leaning away from the shower head, but held in place by the electrical cord of a hairdryer, tied in a knot about the shower head, and another around her neck. There, there hadn't been room enough for her to suspend herself with her feet off the floor. Ugly purple-black ligature marks showed on her neck around the cord. It was obviously a suicide. It obviously wasn't. We were too late. Oh. Fucking hey. Who fucking plans on leaving it at this spot? Jesus Christ, that guy's an asshole. Seriously. Fuck him. Well, shit. That's awful. There's plenty of gross. This just was equal parts gross and heart-wrenching. Mm-hmm. I fucking cried. Mm-hmm. Which, granted... 
a really good insurance company will get me to cry, but like also, <laughs> but I definitely, um, this one hurt. Pretty gnarly. Thoughts, ideas, concerns, stock, um, stock tips. So initially I was like, holy fuck, Harry gave his word and then he went against it. But then I realized, no, he said if he comes back with the kids. So that was the one thing. Mm -hmm. um, another thing in the, let's just do it by order, I guess. We'll go through the chapters. Yeah, of course. So chapter 19. Mm -hmm. What do you got? I appreciate that Elaine kind of stood up for Harry with. Uh, yeah, that was the start of all Stella. these, all these silver stars. Yeah. I, I don't like Elaine, but Elaine in this chunk is actually pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Pretty much pretty much start to finish. Mm -hmm. I mean, even her recognition of Thomas as not the same as every other vampire she's encountered. I I really did again, like no one hates Elaine more than me besides you. And it's tough, it's really tough to look at this chunk and say that Elaine's not pretty fucking cool in these six chapters. She's all right. <laughs> I didn't say it's impossible. I said it's tough. I just don't trust her. Oh, no. That's why, right. again, don't trust remember, her. remember, let's see, she's gotten zero gold stars still. I'm very particular with my gold stars. Yeah, I just, I just don't trust her. Because she did this nice, helpful shit in uh, whatever the first book we saw her and I just don't trust her. Summer night, yeah. She's just sketchy. I also like yeah. that Mac Mouse got left to be um, the protector. Super dog. Super dog. Because, you know, we love him. Well, and he is super dog. That obvious. Although apparently he didn't fucking do his job with Anna. That's not his fault. Of course not. Mm -mm. Nope, nope. You probably want to blame Elaine. No. Bad guys. <laughs> But, like, it is interesting. How did... Why did Mouse... Why did Mouse let her, let Anna get... Like, what... Something like, happened what, that Anna sent everybody away, or they went out somewhere, or something happened, and... Yeah, there's some shit, exactly. Something had to have happened for him to have left her, but he... That she probably left them for some reason, and he stayed with the group to protect more people. Yeah, no... For sure. I, 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 obviously, I'm joking when I say I'm blaming Mouse no, I know. for this. But it, it is... Some shit fucking went down. Uh -huh. For sure. Definitely. Something had to have um, gone down. There had to have been some sketchy shit. So... I don't know um, if it's from within or from without. And that's that's the, the issue here. Is I... I fell asleep with this... Audiobook running. Mm -hmm. And so I know what the next chunk is. Um, I mean, I've read it all, but I also know it's directly up. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm annoyed. Um, but uh, You're annoyed that somebody stopped it here? Yeah, same, bro. <laughs> Asshole. I love it. I love it. I love it for so many reasons, but mostly because you have to suffer. I just don't trust anybody. That's the thing. Oh, oh I know. And I... I I dig every single part of it. I'm like, me, no, like, of me not never trusting anybody. It's a story of my life. Let's be honest. I have, oh, trust yeah. I had trust issues leading into this, but. Oh, so just like, while we're just on life. So, I just, yeah, no, it's, I love 
This is really fun. I mean, this is the whole point of this podcast, but like to experience this story through you, like, you know, alongside and with like in the back, in the sidecar, like you're driving the motorcycle because I'm not going to drive a fucking motorcycle. Are you kidding me? So I'm in the sidecar with my helmet on and my goggles um, as you drive through this novel. And I just fucking love it. <laughs> I just- I adore every You're piece Sean of Connery it. to my Indiana Jones. Like, can you, let's see, like, let's be real. We're, we're, we're very cool, but we are so far away from Harrison Ford <laughs> with the, it, Sean Connery in a sidecar. Cool. That was, <laughs> like, but that was the mental image that I had that when you, when you said that. So I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm all for it. And I wish I was that cool. Um, we named the dog Indiana. I would probably pick a stupid nickname like that though i mean you know but losers do their best winners go home and fuck the prom queen um i (laughs) god i love sean connor i do too i digress from the digression of the digression about the digression but while we're digressing the uh this is gonna get cut but (laughs) the picture i sent you while you were talking i saw about did no i know you replied of Dale Earnhardt as a like a communist icon mm-hmm. is fucking hilarious. And there's a Facebook group that I follow that is just Dale Earnhardt as a fucking comrade. I'm down. <laughs> it's, it's shit like this all the time. So we're clear. If I forget, if I skip this, and I'm going to edit this out. But if I don't, it's a picture of Dale Earnhardt. Everybody put their threes to the air. Raise your threes to the sky. God rest his soul. But it says... It's so him being a badass. And it says, remember, if you see someone shoplifting food, no, you fucking didn't. <laughs> yeah. Oh, because of course you did. Either way, I don't remember. I, what are we talking about? A novel series again? We keep doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, chapters. So the chapters about um, them going to see Thomas on the boat. We touched on it, but I I just fucking love Harry's constant mental struggle with like, oh, we're on a boat, so it's 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 not a wall, it's a bulkhead. Yeah, the way it's, his brain works is very similar. Just like all all that shit is so fucking hilarious. I love that, mm-hmm. and that has nothing to do with the story. No, um, the story's interesting. I'm uh, yeah, I but ninety shot it. Ninety percent no. of the shit that we like has nothing to do with the story. <laughs> of course. Uh, I screenshot it. I haven't put it on social media yet. But you were so delighted when you realized Thomas wasn't a bad guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We knew he wasn't. I knew he but wasn't. It's, but it's still important to like get confirmation, you know? Oh, definitely. Well, and the thing is too, where it's just like I don't, I don't trust Butcher. <laughs> I don't trust Butcher with my favorite characters. That's why when he was like, that motherfucker killed a dog, I'm gonna fucking kill him. I'm gonna fucking kill him. I'm done. I'm done. Uh, you know, that's just kind of how I... He didn't kill a yeah. dog, thankfully. No. I would have well, been very unhappy. Happy. I would have wrote a strongly worded uh, letter. I'm sure. <laughs> so it, it's like a joke, and I don't even know who the third person is because I'm really not that well read. But it's like Joss Whedon, Georgia R. R. Martin, and somebody else walk into a room Walk into a bar. All your favorite characters die. <laughs> um, that's Butcher doesn't. 
he hasn't really killed anybody. Sorry, go ahead. That's not, that's my fear. Yeah, but he's not actually like he's not a mass fun character murderer like those other jokers. He really just likes to like, fuck with you. Like he wants to torture Harry because it's the best way to torture us. 100%. He loves torturing the audience, but he hasn't actually like it, there isn't there's not just like a long like a trail of bodies. Like I mean, mm-hmm. like George R. R. Martin did a lot of weird trope stuff and like fake deaths and fake outs and stuff later. But in the first novel of that purported trilogy, which has now turned into a septology, is that how you say seven, mm, seven books? No idea. Um, the seventh book is now the one that he thinks is going to end it. But realistically, he's going to die before that. And that's fucking okay. He doesn't owe us anything. He owes us nothing. But book six is going to come out. I guarantee I have a hard time believing book six won't come out. Um, but uh, those get like the first novel of A Song of Ice and Fire, mm-hmm. spoiler alert for a novel series that's been out for a billion years and a TV show that was very faithful for the first couple of years. Um, the main character of book one dies. Like, and it's very clear he's the main character. And then he just doesn't make it through book one of a trilogy slash septology slash whatever the fuck it is, which is fucking brilliant. Joss Whedon is, you know, a dementor and he also is a bad person in real life, but um, he's ruined and enriched my life in so many ways that I I hate that he's such a terrible fucking Mm -hmm. person to people in real life because of how much he, he enriched my life so much with his art and his just his human flaws are fucking atrocious and make me not want to support him. Yeah. Um, Butcher isn't like those guys. Like he doesn't kill people just kill that people. matter. Like he doesn't just like kill people for shock value. Like he really like so far in this series, it's just been like vibes and cool stuff as far as like, end result but the process is fucking brutal yeah and he beats the shit out of harry and he's joked about this you know in public like he loves beating the shit out of harry because of how much we hate it (laughs) (laughs) which i love but like it's not like there's just like there isn't really a i mean shiro died but he was an old man and it was always very sad you know like and he died um, so tragically so certainly so grossly I don't remember reading that chapter. It must have been, I mean, reading, I was speaking about it. That must have been a you chapter. Probably. Um, these things make more sense. But either way, I, I digress. But um, he's brutal in a different way from some other brutal authors, which I just think is fun and interesting and cool. It's like, it's like, it's sexy to not kill people, <laughs> you know? which is funny. Um, but he does do it in a very sexy way. Um yeah, no, you know, everything with Thomas on the boat, I really liked. Did you have any thoughts on that before we uh, um, hop over to the, the battle on the boat? I appreciate how he didn't trust it was Harry, much like Elaine didn't trust it was Harry. Okay. <laughs> I do love the, like, there's no way Harry would bring a woman. Like, come right? on, it's Harry. He's like, hey. Yeah. Hey, fuck you, mother. 
Oh, I dig it. I dig it. But I think it's also interesting how um, that he is still hiding the fact that Thomas is his brother from Elaine. So he obviously does not trust her fully. Yeah, I mean, he couches it in language of like, oh, it puts everyone who knows it in danger. But if he trusted her, he'd tell her. He'd tell her. He told, he told fucking, he told Murphy basically on the way, like he basically called her, he did the wizard equivalent of calling her on the way home from Wraith Manor, yeah. right? Like, that's how I would tell my sisters. People like, you know, I'm driving home from the event, like, oh my God, you need to know this, right? Like, yeah. basically how quickly he told Murphy. Yeah. And he. he because he, he trusts has, her. He has an innate distrust of Elaine that he doesn't want to, like, acknowledge. Yeah. Because she was... Because... He still wants to trust her. She was his first love and all of that bullshit. Oh, she's a bad guy. Oh, she's a fucking bad guy. She's a fucking bad guy. She's obviously a bad guy. She's... She has to be Kumori. I I have a hard time with any version of... uh, I mean, the other versions involve... uh, There's only a couple women in Harry's life, right? Yeah. Like... Trying to think of the women that exist, like yeah, that are pervasive through the novels. It's his mom, Molly, Murphy, Charity, Elaine. Right? I'm trying. To, like, are there any other women like in his life? Not really. So, like, Kumori presumably is Lashiel. Yeah, there you go, Lashiel. Like, presumably Kumori's one of those. Yeah, they, she has to be. We don't know. We, this is another. Cal and Kumori are both. Their identities are unknown. Yeah, but um, she has to be somebody he knows. Yeah, right? So, like, presumably she's one of that bunch. Like, I have a hard time not believing that Elaine... There's another crackpot theory, but, like, Elaine, I feel like, is... May or may not be Kumori, like, this, like... Because Kumori, remember, think of a Kumori. She's a questionable... She's a villain with a heart of gold herself, well, right? And she she stopped to try to help somebody, you know, all that shit. It's like, okay. Exactly. And think about how Elaine is using her magic to... To try and yeah. help, but try, I think it's almost to try to assuage, her, but to try to assuage her guilt. Oh yeah, I feel like that's sort of Elaine's mo in a lot of ways. So yeah, Elaine is always like trying to play both sides. Yeah, we saw that in Summer Night. Beyond that, how about the fight on the boat? Uh, Harry and Elaine versus the ghouls with some Thomas assistance. It's a big old brawl. Mm-hmm. But it's also, um, which we later learn, like Harry's just complete and utter rage at the ghouls is obviously be- partially because of what happened in New Mexico, we later find out. Um, but it's, we also learn a little bit about how um, much more crafting of wizard tools Harry has been involved in and how much more skilled he is at it. Yeah, we saw a little bit about this when he was talking about the tackle the tackle box, mm-hmm. right? But that is just that was just an organizational tool. This is actually he has created these rings that are so much stronger than his old one. And he's yeah, he has all of this other all these other tools and all this other skill, which is very significant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think that goes back to what 
he mentioned early on, right, mm-hmm. where Murphy's reference to martial arts, there's a certain level where the only way to get better is to teach. And I think even though he's not teaching Molly, probably, probably, who fucking knows what he's teaching that girl, to create magical artifacts, the fact that he's going step-by-step through through magical usage, right, like as an instructor, has helped him to craft these, these, these items, at least in my mind, I feel like those are connected, right? No, most definitely. I was thinking that because he's going through with this stuff with Molly, where he's, he's teaching her how to, you know, not make these rings, but no, but focus her will and focus her power, focus her energy going through the basics of it. And he's sort of like, wait, I could probably use that. Wait, I could probably do that. Wait, I could probably do that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's allowed him to, um, benefit through creating these tools. Absolutely. It was a cool fight. It was a quick, it was a relatively quick fight. You know, he's blasting a couple off to do, but to do Elaine comes up, swings her dick around, chain around, you know, Thomas is involved by being pretty and good at stuff, which is how I want people to talk about me. Mm -hmm. My, Oh, sorry. I thought my computer died. My, um, Goal for my end of life celebration is an orange and blackout. Oh God! Have we not talked about this before? No. Oh well, wear orange because it's my favorite color, and have a good time. <laughs> I don't need a mass. I don't need a burial. I don't need you know. Fuck it, I don't even give a shit if I'm there. <laughs> Hopefully, I'm lost in the Azores somewhere. Uh, but orange and blackout, baby. That's my end of life party that I did tell my friend Ian this week that he has to fucking chest bump Scott at my orange and blackout. Um, Scotty will do it because Scotty's moved on. <laughs> it's a good, they're both good, very good. But either way, uh, my buddy Kian has a, has a fucking homework assignment. My orange and blackout party. He has a chest bump, Scott. Um, Tell me. I don't remember what we what were talking about besides my end of life. The big fight. Yeah, they have a big fight. Thomas is cool. And that spell, he talks about how hard it was with the bajillion T-Gills, but like... He made it look easy. But that's, that's, the, most, that's the most difficult spell we've ever seen Harry cast. By a wide, wide margin, yeah. I'd say. Without help. Well, I don't even know what, what which ones are you thinking? Even uh, without the entire little Chicago. But little Chicago isn't really one spell. He's crafted that you know. I mean, it's a pieces. tool. It's very much a tool. Yeah, but that's fair. No, you're you're right. You're not wrong. That that definitely probably is the the only comparison as far as yeah. like heavyweight. Fucking But this this he doesn't have anything to 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 help him. He's literally focusing his power and blowing shit up, basically. Or freezing shit up, if you want to be exact. Yeah. Does I mean does he even I mean it's it's first person and I'm sure he does. But in the description it doesn't even sound like he's using his staff. Well, but he, I think he's he's using it. He is using it to focus energy. He must be. He must be. But he doesn't mention it. Is what 
at least in my recollection, I don't think he mentions the staff, mm. but he has to be. There's no universe where he can he can knock out this kind of fucking spell without it. Um, but either way, this is this is a bananas. This is a bananas spell. Like it's powerful mm-hmm. with a capital P on a level we have not seen Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden Dresden cast. Um, so I really love it. Um, it's also super fucking cool, which yeah, is my most very true. my most important thing when I see a spell is how cool it is. Um, but he does it. You know, the women get women and children first, which I thought was funny. Um, As it's all women and children. Boat. It's all women and children, and also you're leaving a boat on ice. I don't know. Maybe there's this is Jim Cameron looms large in all of our minds, doesn't he? Um. Yeah, it was very, very cool. And then um, I thought he was being a bit of a Joan of Arc by not, you know, by forcing everyone else to go first. You thought maybe he wasn't. And maybe the facts of the case, the textual evidence suggests also that you're correct. But I also still thought it was a little bit, you know. Um, But then he hops down there and does crack the ice immediately to prove Lissy right, which is annoying how often Lissy's right. You guys get this like an hour and a half a week. I get this my entire goddamn 40 years life. No. Uh, it's fucking dumb. Oh, dude, don't get me wrong. She's wrong like all the goddamn time. But most of the time, that's not true. I digress. He did break the ice, so maybe he was right. And then the ghouls jump down and crack the ice. That's what really does it. But also, he gets fucking lit the fuck up by Madrigal here. Um, do you have any thoughts on what's going on in this episode? Um. I, Madrigal was shooting at the ice. He wasn't. Was he? I don't think Madrigal was shooting at him. I think Madrigal was shooting at the ice. Oh, shit. I didn't even think about that. That's why he wasn't shot. Oh, he was. Remember, he's got the, 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 the jacket does protect him. But he says it doesn't, no, it doesn't I like protect that. him from gunshots. He says, let me see. Let me find it. He said, I know he says that, but it does. No, but he that, says. That, it, the shots hit me, not in a string of separate impacts, the way I had thought it would be, but in one awful roar of noise and pressure and pain. He hits the ice, the ice pops up and nails him. That's how I... I love, I love that! Oh, that's great. And it also makes um, Madrigal seem way more malicious. I think that actually just makes Madrigal seem way more competent, which is worse than malicious. We already yeah. know he's pretty malicious. Yeah, but, the, but, but now, it's, now he's competent. But it's also, aren't the people, the other people still on the ice? They haven't made it no. all the way across the ice yet. Well, Thomas and Elaine might not have, but only one of those we care about. And um, all the women and children have. Sure. But so... Madrigal's still a douchebag, and we hate him. But now he's a smart douchebag who we hate. Uh, but also, I mean, if he's maybe he gets a lane in the crossfire, like, oopsie. <laughs> or maybe he knows Elaine's bad. Oopsie! Oh no, Elaine died! Oh. Bummer. Anyway, uh, here's Wonderwall. Uh, <laughs> 
But yeah, that was my, that was my, um, no, I like that. That's absolutely what happened. That explains, that explains why. I mean, I think his coat does protect him. No, I think, I think, I think, I definitely think so as well, but the description of it, if he was shot multiple times, it wouldn't be, yeah, even, 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 you know, like, you know, automatic fire would be, it wouldn't be one blast. Unless he was shooting the ice and it hit him as he fuck. Yep. That's fucking brilliant. As he jumps Jesus. down, he jumps down on the ice and the ice cracks. And so he freezes. And you know that it's, he later says the ice is eight inches thick. Eight inches, eight inches of ice cracking would not be quiet. It would be rather loud. So everybody heard it. Mm-hmm. No, that's a great fucking, that's great. Yeah. It, it, it gives Madrigal a little bit more credit for craftiness, but we do know Madrigal is crafty. So it worked in my head. It worked with his character. But yeah. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, this is definitely, this entire podcast is how Alyssa's brain works weird. Yeah, no, 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 which is, which is fair. It gives everyone an explanation as to like, what the fuck is going on? (laughs) (laughs) What is wrong with this girl? A lot, a lot. But my brain just, oh, my brain well, also scratching. We're scratching the surface here. Let's we're not see. even let's scratching the surface. Let's be honest. <laughs> but no, it's just like, that's like, those, like the way a lot of the things I talk about on this podcast, like, well, uh, you know, where we have these conversations, you're like, I never thought of it like that. That is the story of my fucking life where people are like, oh, I fucking dig it. I never thought of it like that. I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> so, so travel with me to Camp Kaboom now. Yes. Do you have any thoughts on that yes. conversation with yes. him and Lucio? Yes. <laughs> it's called foreshadowing. Foreshadowing, okay. She can no longer craft magical blades yeah, she out can. of silver. Mm-hmm. We just mm-hmm. learned that Harry can craft magical things out of metal. Wait, what did he craft out of metal? The rings. He's crafty. He had those before. But no, he had one. Okay. And he made more. Oh, so you think Harry's going to make some fucking... Harry's going to be... uh, I can see him becoming the armor. He's going to have the special... He's going to learn that special skill, I feel like. And um, maybe I should save that for my crackpot theory. But no, I I really do think that he might be... That's why that was brought up. No, no, the, at the beginning when I didn't understand, it was because the tinfoil had shifted off my head. I fixed it, and then it actually it made more sense. Okay, no, I dig it. Um, no, it, it seems significant. Yeah. But, but my, my first thought was I wonder if it's not just to explain why we don't give Harry a magic-destroying blade. No, I think that's, yeah. that is too easy. Okay, no, and I dig if it. We've, not- if we've learned nothing, it's that it's never the easy answer. Oh, of course not. Uh, no, I, I dig that. What about the Yoshimo being connected to his friend? He's trying to figure out who to give the sword to. Okay. That was what that was. Um, And he said, remember in the last book, he was talking about the sword and how maybe I should start doing work on it and not just let it come to me. Mm, and I, that okay. is him starting work on it. Who's his friend who's a descendant of Shotai? What's his face? The Shiro. Shiro. 
Okay. That's his friend. It's not yeah, 100% no, true. No, no, no. That is, that is 100%. I can't, I can remember facts. I can't remember fucking names. I mean, no, I, called the, okay. I, I, was, I called the no, same I wasn't sure scabies, if you made that. So. The never- I, was, <laughs> I wasn't sure if you made that connection. Yeah, no, so. no, totally. Um, no, it's interesting. His, I, he's trying to figure out what. He has ideas about sword ownership, sword wieldership, I guess. You don't you never own it, but you wield it. So sword wieldership, uh, which is a word I think I just made up, and I will copyright any motherfucker on TikTok who says that. <laughs> Goodness gracious. New Mexico. Yeah. Yikes. I whole lot, whole lot. Wish I I wish that wasn't my chapter. Because those aren't things that I like talking about. Yeah. Um, but uh, what are your thoughts on the the whole interaction, the whole shebang, like top to bottom? Just in case Harry didn't need more more instances to add to his drive to save the world and save the weaker people, let's have some ghouls mm. fucking kill some kids. I do love how he projects that to all ghouls. Oh, 100%. Which is not healthy or fair or reasonable, but also like... Yeah. It's on point, yeah. though. But yeah, no, it's very much, very much just adding to his... Chip, the chip. The yeah. gigantic, massive, looming chip on his shoulder. I fucking hate that scene. I hate the brother looking at... The, uh, yeah. I, 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 I got... Yeah. 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 Thoughts? Questions move on. Um, I don't. Oh, do you think his cold demeanor, rather than being hot with rage, his cold demeanor is due to Lashiel? Needs to be right. Like no one's been a bigger Lash guy than me. But look back all the way to Deadbeat. He's he's not reacting the same way his friends expect him to. Yeah, and I. I hate the idea that someone, much less me, sitting here, casting judgment, impugning, lash, God, like uh, the, the the most precious, perfect soul, most perfect, perfect, precious influence Harry's ever had in his entire life. I hate the fact that. We're thinking maybe she's the driving force and the the through line and the coincidence. Coincidences are a thing, Lizzie. Sometimes coincidences mm-hmm. just happen. He's had trouble discerning real from fake, real anger from like norm, like normal anger from fucking psychopathic anger. He's had some trouble with that. And a lot of that has been since he touched the coin. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because he touched the coin. Causation does fucking not equal correlation, Isa. Uh-huh. Or rather, the words I just said were very dumb and false. Correlation does not, does not equal causation. Equal causation. <laughs> I was a history major, okay? Like numbers, numbers are just years to me. Like I don't even, I don't know how numbers work. I like bump into each other and like some funny stuff happens. Dork. Um, 
I appreciate that science is. I just don't know what science do. <laughs> Dork. It's not Lashio's fault! But he is kind of an asshole since Lashio. Um, but it's, he's really it's not, he's struggling against Paul's anger. Yes, and I don't think that's that he's an asshole. I think that he has control. It's it's part of its control. But the thing is, is it's a cold rage. It's not a hot, fiery rage. Yeah. And I think that is the difference. And that's the significant difference yeah, like, of it all. Um, Ebenezer noticed he was off. Mm-hmm. Murphy noticed he could lie easier. Yeah. Which, which seems to buy, like lean into the coldness, right? Like just mm-hmm. this like cool call. Like I, I, I'm an, I'm a Lashiel stan mm-hmm. and I have a hard time separating Lash from these consequences. Yeah. But which it's- suggests, it suggests Lashiel and his id, like his inner Harry more than I think what our precious, perfect, wonderful, beautiful, blessed Lash mm-hmm. is doing on screen. Who I just adore. She's so pretty and wonderful. So I carry on. Did you have a thought? You're just a dork. <laughs> I just love Lash. Lash is my favorite character. <laughs> She's just so disrespectful. Either way. um, We'll definitely have to talk about his... Rage shoes, rage issues, uh, moving forward. But that fucking shit with the ghouls and the mine shaft was heartbreaking. Yeah. The shit with the ghouls by the anthill was fucking metal as fuck. And I'm into it. Pretty gnarly. I'm into that, personally. I'm actually into that. But I understand why it's also not okay. You have any thoughts on that? Um... Again, it's that cold, calculated rage. Yeah, which we haven't seen. I mean, I mean you, you, you mentioned it because Ramirez says it, but it really is starkly different to anything we've seen out of Harry Copperstone, Blackstone, Dresden, mm-hmm. Copperfield, Blackstone, Dresden. Like, it, that's not the guy we know at all. No. He doesn't fucking torture ghouls just to torture ghouls. And no matter how yeah. cool it was. And it's no I mean, cool it yes, it's rather earned. But it's also <laughs> it's also very much that cold rage. And it yeah. and which we, we expect Harry to have that hot rage, you know, that hot he he is a hothead. That's that's who he is. He's a hot. Oh, Jesus! The word. Sometimes you use words that are like good at explaining <laughs> thoughts. It's almost like I have three degrees that involve writing. One of them being playwriting. Yeah, you should. Uh, you should like do things where you get paid to talk. Yeah, mm. I don't like to talk in front of people. Oh no! You do it in front of a microphone. I can do be. There's nobody here watching me talk. <laughs> and in my head, all of our listens are just like figments of my imagination. Really stoked. I'm really stoked and it's cool. They're cool figments, but it's not. Except for our Patreon members who are very real and very wonderful. <laughs> but it's just, I just, I like, I, know, I had I a 
couple of years ago, I got conned into doing a, a fire death presentation to a room full of fire investigators. It was my cases too. It wasn't like it was shit I didn't know. It was my cases. Some of it was the like the forensic anthro stuff related to burned bodies and stuff like that. I was so nervous the entire time. My hands got so cold I could barely feel them. This was the middle of the summer in San Bernardino. I don't know what to do with my hands. I had the worst like dry cotton mouth and like my heart was beating really, really fast. I was shaky. And it was like, <laughs> these are my cases. But I just, just standing in front of people. And it was like, it was shit I knew. Yeah, I'm not good at talking in front of people. But yeah. I heard you. Uh, so we get through New Mexico, as atrocious as it is. And I, I, mean, I mentioned it in the, in the walkthrough. I, I loved Thomas's, like, recognition mm-hmm. that I got you, which is like, that was for him. They got, yeah. you know, like, I, like, take a step back. Like, sometimes when you're in these moments, some of the things you say are for you. Yeah. Right? Like, you're trying to, re- you're trying to get, like, you're talking to yourself to get you on board with all the steps. And, you know, I've, I've been very few of, like, you know, big life-altering like threatening moments, like, you know, like three in my life that I would put in that category. Mm-hmm. Not all of them are life threatening, but like in the moment we're like, yeah, I don't know. Like we're like, it's just get it done. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. This is a weird fucking phrasing. And like for someone in your line of work, obviously you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, 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 no. Tuesday. I had three of those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah. You are talking to yourself sometimes in those moments. A hundred percent. And so I love I loved that moment for Thomas because it was realistic. It was reasonable. But he's also, when he says, I've got you, that's talking to Thomas. Thomas has his brother. Yeah. Carrie, Harry doesn't give a fuck about I got you. Yeah. Right? Like, like that... That, that could not possibly mean anything less to Harry. Right, like, and and I know, and Thomas knows that. Mm-hmm. But when he says they're all safe, you know, like they're they're all safe. That's for Harry. Yeah. And then at the, and at the end again, he says, "I've got you," and that's back for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just I fucking love that. I loved like how that's so. Again, I, it's weird to talk to you about like real things. Like it's a weird thing and it's a weird experience because of your real is very different than my real, right? Like with, with some overlap, but like just the things you experience and go through, but like, that's so real to me where Thomas says, I've got you. Like for me, that 1 million percent is for Thomas, but he does that at the beginning and the end to bookend, like, you need to get this done. And then in the middle, he's talking to his brother. I don't know. I, I don't know if this makes any sense to you or any of the fucking listeners, but, like, <laughs> that, that, that's just how that made sense in it my It does. Brain. No, it, de- it definitely does. And I really, I really love it. Like, it tells me, I don't know, maybe falsely that Butcher's been in some shit before because that just felt so fucking real. Or he has an understanding of trauma. 
one way or another. Sure. Sure. But I don't know how you get that understanding without being in trauma. Besides literally every other aspect of my life, I think you learn stuff and grow. And um, that was a really dumb thing to say now that I think about it for one second. Sorry, carry on. Wait, you confused me. <laughs> I, 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 well, like you're saying, you, you were just saying that maybe he hadn't been in trauma. He just understands it. Yeah. And my thought was like, no way anyone could do that without experiencing it. But then like literally my entire life is built around learned experiences and but also growing from other people's learned experiences yeah. and yeah so it was a dumb thing to say that's all I was, I was just saying immediately after saying something like literally two seconds after i said something definitively intentionally well, i realized i was fucking stupid but your brain was, and i was talking your brain was just working through it that's all yeah no I, I was just talking shit on my on a thing i said two seconds after i said it <laughs> oh so good Oh, just me out. Uh, Thomas grabbing Harry. Yeah, Thomas grabbed Harry. They got out. That was lovely. And then they go to the ho- the cheap hotel room. Yeah. We, oh, God damn it. Can you please talk about that? I don't want to talk. Of course. Well, we, you know, and, and I, I, I appreciate how. I want every listener to think about how fucking bubbly and happy that, of course, was. Oh. Well, no, not even like, but the thing is, it's like. I, I mean, I'm just kidding. Well, the, the worst part. I'm just kidding. I love you. The worst part about what I do was when I was reading that, and I was like, "That's actually a really good description of that." Holy fuck! Which How part? I know the description of um, Anna. Oh, her body. No, 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 no. Yeah, that could be. The, can we save that for the director's cut? Oh god. But I mean, that, that that's the thing. A lot of the stuff in these books where it's like that's why I'm always like, actually that. That's that's a good description of what it smells like. That's not quite well, that's what it looks good. like. Well, and but, what it smells like. Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah. I believe you. I love you. I'm just my mind again. I cried earlier. <laughs> it's all right. But no, I mean, I we got while reading and while recapping. Sorry, I'm back. A lot of people cried while reading. How many while recapping? Uh, but you were just talking about it. You're talking about something that's traumatic to you, and that's completely understandable. I oh. I get it. I just. I have a cold, I have a cold, dead heart, you know. <laughs> One of the things that we saw in that chapter was the kind of core, their the core memories of Harry and Elaine, of their childhood together, of their youth. And it does give us a big, a significant view, not maybe not a big view, but a significant view into their, their shared existence. But it also, I think it kind of gives us a reason and it hints to us as to why Harry gives her so many chances. Well, because he's a dumb boy. But it's but it no, but it's and she's a pretty girl. But no, but they they are trauma bonded. Yeah, and so I think that has a lot to do with their relationship and how they interact and all of that stuff and and what he lets her get away with. Um, yeah, and like, but also how quickly they fall into certain roles. And most stuff. definitely. Like, no, like she's also again. I don't want to suggest that she has no trauma, because even if she's the worst of the bad guys, she has the trauma of being asked to do the terrible, gross things that she did to Harry. Um. So, like, yeah, no, the, the trauma bond is is totally legit. Sorry. Well, and but you know the the concept of a trauma bond is it can be a very dangerous type of relationship. And it can be, um, yeah, it, it, it's it, case in point. Mm-hmm. 
And that's the thing where he, he lets her get away with a lot because of those core memories of when he was happy, when he was, he had a home and that's very dangerous. I think for Harry, because in my mind, she's not trustworthy. Oh no. Zero percent. And so that's, and in that moment, he, he, you know, he, in this book, especially he trusts her almost completely and it worries me. Bad things are coming. And also the interaction between Harry and Thomas. It would have been really great if, you know, you if I had told you about something that was dangerous, wouldn't it? Huh? Oh, I fucking love That's the hit, letting Thomas hit the ward. So and and, Elaine's, I love and that Elaine's like, because that is so funny. Oh, God. But give me a minute. Just a minute. And go. And then the final part of the, you know, is, is when they find Anna Ash and... It always ends poorly. Oh. So much of it ends poorly. You know? Wait, wait, when did they hit Thomas with the thing? That had to have been way earlier, right? No, it's right before. Right before they go to the, um, to Anna Ashes to go see why they're not uh, answering the phone. Okay. <laughs> what? So I do love, I just love that to Thomas. Yeah. It's such a good, and how Harry's like, no, no, no. Give me a sec. Give me a sec. Give it a sec. Because Elaine's like, oh, wait, the ward. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. Uh-huh. I know. I can see him do, like you're putting his finger on her lips, you know, like mm-hmm. the shh. Mm-hmm. Yep. So go, give it a sec. And he fucks his, you know, he blasts his brother. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Anna Ash thing. Yeah. But he almost kind of knew it was coming. Yeah, I mean, you knew, you had to know because that's where I chose to end the fucking chunk. That there had to have been something coming. But, like, realistically, it was just, like, the other shoe had to drop because we were, we did have too many, like, positives in a row, you know? Yeah. Like, Inevitably. Oh, I just... Bad shit's gonna happen. Oh, I very much did not love this. Yeah. I, I don't mean, like, from a narrative or... Like, if narratively, it was good and fine and made me feel the things it was supposed to feel. I just felt the things I was supposed to feel. And I didn't like the things I was supposed to feel. Hey, you know, well, it's uh, jerking around the heartstrings again. Yeah, I did not like the things I was supposed to feel. Woof. It was a lot, certainly. Did you have any, you know, on the way out, thoughts, ideas of uh, just, that was the end of the show. Yes. And it hurts, hurt feelings. But did you have, you know, any parting thoughts on the uh, narrative there? I don't think so. We kind of talked about it. Um... Yeah. Oh. Uh, 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 uh. that like it was the it was obviously a suicide it obviously wasn't yeah it's just so fucking good yeah like uh, like it's powerfully painful (laughs) powerfully painful short of that I don't know if you have any thoughts there or just want to uh move on yeah i mean we said a lot about it as we've gone so oh yeah no do you have um do you have any any yikes yikes i don't really i don't think there was any any real yikes yeah no i i felt problematic wise this was i mean unless you talk about war crimes and torture yeah that's a whole other thing which i guess would be uh, you know, realistically, like, let's talk about what this section is. Yeah, 
you know, you probably shouldn't torture people. Yeah. He doesn't really torture them to get answers, which is actually actually a good thing, right? Like, he tortures the ghouls after. He asks, he uses words. He uses, he uses ancient Sumerian to communicate with them. Yeah. And they give him answers right away. He, when he tortures them, he's not torturing them for information. He's just torturing them to torture them. So he, yeah, he, he, it's that cold rage. Yeah, yeah. It, it's almost like something a fallen angel would do. Why do you think fallen angels have cold rage? This feels like your biases. Do you want to talk about it? <laughs> no, no, no. Tell me, tell, what, tell me why you think that. You, you have eleven minutes. Let's keep going. Oh, I know. I'm just. You need therapy because of how much you hate angels who disagreed with Jehovah one time. One time, there was a slight disagreement, and my poor, precious, wonderful princess, my my baby Lashiel, is just being assaulted by your false claims. And I just, I just, I just hope that you realize what you're doing to her, and how hard you're making it for her to be her, and just to have her experiences, because Lashiel's perfect and wonderful and special. And I guess uh, that's the end of this week's Lashiel podcast. <laughs> Thanks to the Lashinator for showing up. I don't know what we're talking about. Said, oh, yikes. Yikes. Yeah, no. Yeah. He tortured, but he did it at the point where it makes it feel like rage more than yikes. Yes. <laughs> that's interesting. Oh, goodness gracious. I have only two this week, so hopefully you don't blow any of them. Uh, what do you got for the week, baby girl? All right. Let's see here. Okay. So we started at chapter 19. Okay, I don't have too many. Okay, maybe I do. <laughs> no, no way. I just I just let the I just let the document load. Um no, I actually I have I have 46 quotes. <laughs> Butthead. You ungrateful, insufferable, venomous little twit. Shut your mouth. This man is trying to protect you just like I am. I will thank you to keep a civil tongue in your head while we do our job. That was pretty good. Yeah, that's a good one. And you redid the interior, she said as I got in and started the car. Demons ate the old one. (laughs) I was going to say evil, but I'm increasingly unsure exactly where everyone around me falls on the Jedi Sith Sith Index. (laughs) That kind of also is a little bit of hinting that he doesn't, he's not sure where Elaine falls. Oh, I did not take it like that because my hatred of Elaine doesn't burn so fiery deep as yours, but I love it. Oh, because that's he true. says everyone around me falls. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. We understood mm-hmm. that, that you. That's why I was like, huh. Your, your, Elaine, your Elaine hatred rages really at a does. temperature it, that the Calvin scale is. cannot actually competently keep up with. Colors everything. Can you tell I hate liars and people who who uh, are full of shit? Doing battle with the forces of things trying to kill me or my friends or people. It's not funny, but it's a fun reference. Yeah. Doing battle with the forces of things trying to kill me or my friends or people who can't protect themselves is not a rowdy summer adventure movie. <laughs> and the last one is. Which is funny. I got to know because he always compares stuff to fun movies. Mm-hmm. But this is like a shitty thing. Like, oh, so even when he's like being an idiot and like, but even when he doesn't like something, he's still an idiot. He's still like, oh, this is absolutely not a fun. <laughs> this is not fun. Um, and the last one is I swallowed cereal carefully instead of choking. God, I love Harry. I love Harry Dresden. Yes. 
Elaine had moved away to where she could see the little ship's entire deck while still standing at a good 20 feet away from the deck, away from the feet, whatever, 20 feet. She's fucking 20 feet away. What? We're just background here. Relax, Liz. What was the military military term for this? Establishing a crossfire? Maybe it was creating a defilade. Point being, though, if anything came gibbering out of the boat's hold, we'd tear it up between us before you could say boogity-boo. It's the same section where he's like, always second guessing whether or not he's using the correct nautical terms for things. Yeah. I just love like the way his brain works. Exactly. Just the, the way his brain works. He's doing things right. But then he thinks about like, Oh, what do you call this? What's going on? It's just so fucking dumb. Um, it's hilarious though. To the untrained eye, it probably looked like I was just cowering and pulling my duster up to cover my head. But it was actually part of a cunning master plan designed to let me survive the next three or four seconds. <laughs> <laughs> when he thinks about what's happening around him and tries, you know, he made a joke about this, about it may have sounded like he was screaming, but he was actually giving a battle cry, you know? Yeah, shit, exactly. Just shit, shit like that. And then this is in the wrong section of my notes because I don't want to quote this, but I want to talk about it. Okay. Just where Elaine, <laughs> at least I have notes. Okay. Uh, but where Elaine says, you're different from most of them, aren't you? To Thomas. And he says, probably just more deluded. Good luck, Harry. But that's the first time I've started thinking about Elaine as maybe just... Maybe not a thief and a murderer and a like that line right there. You're different from most of them, aren't you? And I don't want to latch too hardly too like too tightly onto it because I fucking hate Elaine. But this chapter, this chapter made me move closer to liking Elaine. So I'm sorry, Lissy. I am sorry, but I hate her. I still hate her. I promise. I promise. Lissy, don't disappoint me. I hate I hate her. She's the worst. But this You can have your own you can have your own wrong opinion. It's okay. I know. Well, it, I can only have the one. And I think my one is that Lashiel's a good guy. Um so but either way, um right that I'm sorry that this came up now because this literally was in my quote section of my notes for this week. But that's interesting, isn't it? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Uh, I didn't see it like that. I think that she has he he caught her off guard because she's calculating and she kind of know she thinks she knows how to deal with everybody. Yeah, but if she was a bad guy, she wouldn't have said that. You know what I mean? Like like she wouldn't have let that slip. I, that's I what's know. I don't know. I found that again. I hate her, but like that this chunk. I mean, I've joked about this chunk. How she's got a lot of silver stars, no gold stars yet, but like that chunk right there actually makes me question my whole thesis about this series, which is that she's in, in league with Dres with Damore. It's not my thesis, but it's, it's tangent tangential to it for sure. So either way, it's not super important. I just, it also is the wrong time to bring this up. I apologize, but uh, either way that does lead us. In fact, into music. What's your crackpot theory this week?
Um, I, I mean, I still think Elaine is in league with somebody bad. I don't know if she's in league with the Black Council. Um, the Circle. The Circle, the Black Council, whatever. I don't think she's in league with the Circle. I think the Circle and the Black Council are two separate things. Ooh. That's, um, a, that's, that's, that's jumping from the text. I like it. I mean, I don't know for sure, obviously. Harry thinks they might be the same, but I'm like, they could be two separate bad guy entities because it wouldn't be unheard of in this world. And it's super important to, to note, uh, like you say that, like Harry thinking something isn't necessarily true. No, no, because it's just his perspective, his opinion. Yeah. I dig it. I hate Elaine, but seriously, dude, this chunk was like, this is definitely the most pro-Elaine I've ever felt in... A, you know, over a decade of being a Dresden Files guy, mm-hmm. like this moment, <laughs> not just thinking about it this week, but also talking through it over the last, you know, uh, 17 hours it takes us to record each of these. Uh, like, I'm actually, you're different from most of them, aren't you? I hate that, th- I hate that I put this in the wrong place either way. Although, maybe that's good suspense. Ooh. On that note, I guess we get out of here, huh, Ice? Uh, yeah, that's about it. I think we're done. So next week is 25 to 31. We're going seven chapters. We are going seven chapters next week, which means I'm going to start reading about it. But the, for the tail end of this one, Lissy's going to get us kicking, which I love. Again, just, you know, making her uncomfortable. Be comfortable being uncomfortable. Hmm. That's what I tell all my kids to do. Um, and they're better water pole players than me. Says, says very little about very little. Either way, I am delighted that we got through this. Uh, seriously, I, I mean, didn't actually bring up any specific conversations because I really, all, most of them hint at the same kind of, it's not spoilery, but I don't really want to get into it with my, you know, with non-readers, non-veterans vet, rather. So like, just, uh, I'm really interested. No, the, the, the talks we're having are, are, are good because... I agree. I think I agree. There's some fucking, sh- there's some wonkiness with that moment that I've suggested wonkiness with. But Lissy, I hope this is just a torturous paragraph. But either way, I am delighted that you guys keep keep these things going. I am over the moon over the fact that we are going to get to see Mrs. Butcher's baby boy in live action personhood in a, about a month, two months or so, up here in the SeaTac region. I think it's actually maybe in Tacoma. Wherever this Norwest Con is going to be, me and my wonderful, spectacular sister are going to be there. Um, so Lissy's coming. And so that's fun. And um, I cannot wait to see anybody who's around, but also Jim Butcher. That's going to be a lot of fun. Yes. To bother Jim Butcher in person. Poor guy. At, as opposed to just in vibes, which we've been doing for decades. But very excited for that. And we look forward to it next week. We are reading seven chapters. Finish up on chapter 31 to get through this chunk. And my goodness gracious, you hit us up on the podcast was on fire at gmail.com. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. No spoilers in the subject line. And then if you want to be the coolest of the cool, where all your cool friends think, wow, that guy's cool. <laughs> Up onto our Patreon. Patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. Patreon.com slash the podcast was on fire. And we, uh, y- you get a 26 hour early access podcast time. And it's not a whole lot else. 
We're just here. We're excited. And we want to give you the best thing possible. So please, please hop on that. You know, you get to have cool theories 26 hours before anyone else does. And mostly we just appreciate the fuck out of you for like, it's so cool that people have supported us through this. Yes. We are just, just over a year into it. And what a good time. Beyond that, patreon.com. So the podcast was on fire. The podcast was on fire at gmail.com. And short of that. We're also on Facebook and X, formerly known as Twitter. We're on X. We're on all the things. Come on down. Just delighted to have you. And hopefully we get to chest bump on uh, at NorwestCon. Come say hey to Jim Butcher. Say hey to us. And uh, life is good. I appreciate y'all. I, personally, on like a spiritual level, like individually, ecumenically, politically, religiously, artistically, have been judged. And I am Alyssa. Podcast was on fire. And it wasn't my fault. Yeah, these fucking next level Taylor Swift conspiracy theories. Oh goodness! Mm-hmm. Like what? <sighs> oh, just that. Like it's all like the, the Chiefs were like it was fake, basically. <laughs> Chiefs are gonna win another Super Bowl after Mahomes throws like a sixty-yard helmet catch miracle bar ball to Marquez Valdez Scantling, and the dumbest people alive will be like, "Wow!" Just like they drew it up in Davos. <laughs> just Thinking about when Taylor Swift called out the Soros family in 2019 for buying the rights to her music, and then she came out as super liberal in 2020. Like, shut the fuck up. God. Uh, like, the Super Bowl, like, they're going to cheat to make the Chiefs win so that she can, like, make a big Biden. It's so fucking stupid. Dear God. I fucking love it. Like, it really makes me so happy. As a mediocre white man. <laughs> Anytime you see mediocre white men fucking flip out about shit, it's just... Oh, goodness gracious, I adore it. It is hilarious. And just so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. I got distracted by... You're okay.